This week on Invasion, the podcast, our voyage through the year of the sequel continues as we look at how a franchise can end on a high note with 1991 Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Coming this summer. Oh, no. Disaster. It's in theaters now. That can only mean one thing. Doggone it, you're right. Mm -hmm. It looks like they've ordered a sequel. (laughs) Now. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, the legend continues. What's it called? It's called, uh... Robocop 2. The... Clerks 2. It's called... The Invasion of the Podcast. Part 2. And that's when things got knocked into 12 gear. The year of the sequel. Too risky. Sequels are almost always disappointing. And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time with our year of the sequel. Uh, I am Paul, um, stirring a large pot of mashed potatoes that suddenly uh, the, the pot's gone, but the, the potatoes stay. And Steve is out there somewhere with some mag boots. Hello, everyone. I was I was going to do this entire episode in Klingon, but Paul said no. <laughs> I You know, like only if you could just do it, uh, the original Shakespeare in Klingon the entire time. <laughs> That'd be great. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country. Um, I know it's a little bit of a cheat in my intro saying as this franchise ends on a high note because this franchise has been started a number of times. However... When I say high note, I'm talking about the original cast. I think that's fair for this because this is the last film with all of them. And I think that is the end of this franchise as we know it. Um, are, are, Steve, do you think I'm right or do you think I'm a cheat because there's like eight other movies that came after this? No, I mean, you could say the original iteration. I mean, the franchise obviously never dies, but uh, I think it's safe to say that this is them, their swan song, uh, the original crew uh, from 66 until... Uh, 91. 65. Yeah. yeah, whatever, whatever year. I, I can't remember if it's 66 or 65 when the show starts, but it's, it's the original crew. It's the original cast. It's, there's yeah, one. I think it was 66 because 91 was the 25th anniversary and the, they wanted, um, was a Paramount one to get this out around that time. So that would make sense. Right. So, but yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, before we get there though, um, you know, I know that normally our episodes about year of are just straight, you know, year of stuff. Um, however, this weekend was a little, um, a little busy. Uh, it was, uh, they, uh, nationally, uh, free comic book day, which normally happens in May got moved to August and that did happen here in Cleveland. And Steve, you said you had a free comic book day story. Yeah. Well, yes, it's, uh, <laughs> I thought you'd get to yours first, but I'll just, I'll, I'll bring mine out. Well, now. you told so, me that you had like a small one, so I didn't want to be like, yeah, hey, this is what happened. One. And I'm like, Steve, not talk about your day, you know, whatever. I just, you know. So I think I I mentioned last week on the show that uh, my wife and I have bought a new house and we're now in the process of getting this house that we live in now ready to uh, uh, be be cleaned up to be sold, I should say. I shouldn't say to be moved into because we got to sell it first. So uh, I was unable to go to Carolyn John's and do drawings. Uh, I did have a piece in the art show. Um, It was everyone's favorite X-Men character, Jubilee. Um, I hear that it went over really well with no one and, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't hear anything. Uh, so I didn't want to go to Carolyn John's just because I was like, ah, it's kind of a jerk move and I'm in the middle of all these things. So I was like, I'm not going to go up there 
but there's a comic book store near my house and i was like you know what i need short boxes uh for those of you who read or collect comics uh you've got your choice between short boxes and long boxes uh and if you start putting all your books in long boxes they get really hard to move so i'm like I can't do long boxes anymore. It was fine when I was in my 20s and 30s, but I'm like, I, I need to make these as easy as to move around as possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to run up to the comic book store, um, which I believe is called Comics Argo. Uh, it's maybe like five minutes away from me, um, and just see if they have short boxes. So I ran up there, and uh, the guy's like, no, there's like a shortage of short boxes right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I can't get them. And I'm like, okay. And he had all these nice decorated ones uh, that were like printed on. Like there was one that had the Kingdom Come artwork on it. And there was one that had like an Alcatraz Hulk painting on it. I mean, they're they're gorgeous to look at. But I'm like, I just need the plain white ones because I know those are more expensive. And uh, I'm like, do you know when you're getting any more in? He's like, no, I'm still waiting to hear when I'm going to get some of mine. I can sell you some old long boxes. I'm like, no, I'm trying to move away from long boxes. Um. And then I'm like, all right, well, how much do you want for the the painted ones? He's like, they're $12 a piece. I'm like, I am not paying $12 a piece for a box. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I just feel like it's one of those ways that we're raked over the coals as comic book fans. Mm-hmm. Like, prices always increase. You got to buy, you know, bags and boards. And I mean, you don't have to, but like. Well, yeah, but uh, you want to protect your stuff. But like, what, what do yeah. you think? Th- what is the normal cost for a short box then? How about that? I think five to six bucks. Okay. So, it, so he's asking double. Okay. And I don't think it's that he's asking double. It's that those printed ones, they're nice. They are really nice. And I know they're more expensive. Okay. But uh, he's like, you know, he's like, you might want to check Amazon and see. Uh, long story short, I ended up going on Amazon uh, and ordering uh, 10 long or 10 short boxes. My apologies uh, for like 70 bucks. So it broke down to like $7 and 10 cents per box. And I was like, well, I paid a little bit more for it, but I'm in a desperate need of uh, uh, needing these boxes because my office is supposed to be painted next week. We're having people come in and work on the house, and my office basically needs to be empty. And if you saw all the comics and graphic novels and crap I have everywhere, uh, it would uh, it would make you want to burn my office up. And just be like, <laughs> oh, a match, walk away. Um, but uh, so yeah, much the, plastic, you just smell so much plastic. Just uh, yeah, <laughs> it would be bad. The rest of my weekend was spent boxing up my toy collection, uh, which my wife at one point saw how many boxes I was able to, to box up. And she's like, your, your office is like a clown car. And I'm like, yeah, this is just toys. I, I, I just wish toys. I wish you guys had like somebody that was come by and be like, oh, your kids must love this. But kids I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> be like. Wait, what? Like, no. Kids can't touch this. Yeah, I will say that uh, if anything's going to push me even further into uh, being digital, it's it, it's lugging all these things to a new location. Well, just turn turn your toys <laughs> into uh, NFTs and then sell them, right? Or whatever. I don't, I don't understand how that works. Just turn them into Bitcoins. That's how that works, right? Turn your toys into digital currency and then sell them. Yes, yes. Or... Or I could sell them to somebody else uh, for probably a great markdown like, uh, and the, cry. You got you to find you got to find like the next Steve, right? You got to find that guy that's like <laughs> ten years younger 
that has money to burn and be like, hey, you want you want all these, right? You want all my things. Here's hey, the have price. you given up on life yet? No, have you given up Neither. on life yet? Like, I see, I see that, I see a spark in your eyes. Come on in. Let me show you, you have my a things. Hole in your soul that can only be filled with movies, toys, and comics. Come yeah. on over here. Have you, I got have you never progressed past age twelve? Boy, do I have <laughs> things to show you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just it was very weird, and I don't think the guy was trying to give me a line or anything like that because he clearly didn't have. Because I went over and I grabbed a magazine box because he needed one of those, and I'm like, "Where are all your short boxes?" He's like, "Yeah, I don't have any." I'm like, "Ooh." So I don't know, maybe his supplier is also raking him over the coals financially and being like, if you want him, you got to pay premium or something. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, a short box is just a white box. Uh, I, I can't remember ever paying more than five or six bucks for him. So we paid a little bit more. And now you've all heard my fascinating uh, free comic book day story. I didn't even buy any comics or get free ones. So Paul, you had a much better experience. Tell I, us about did it. Did I? Did I have a much better? Maybe. Maybe I did. So well, you I, got uh, to meet a legend. Yeah. I mean, I did meet your what your partner, too? Ryan Cassandy. I saw him at the, at the Free Comic Book Day doing sketches. So you're right. I did. Did you not meet two other than Ryan? Am, um, am I wrong? On well, I mean, there, there was one dude walking around in an old school Sabretooth outfit that I appreciated. I thought that was fun. So, I, I thought there was somebody who you found out lives in Lakewood. I do. I, I did find out. Um, that is... But did um, you not meet him? I did meet him. Okay, so so, so he—that's what I meant by two. Oh, uh, I keep so. I keep I keep pussyfooting around. I was keep saying like, yeah, I saw you know all this stuff. I'm just. Being I a saw dick. that you got a sketch from Chad of uh, of uh, Darkhawk. No, not <laughs> it was not Darkhawk. Thank you very much. Uh, no, there, there's a gentleman. Uh, he goes by Chad. Chad artist C H O D artist on Facebook. Uh, he is an amazing artist. Um, you know, uh, that I, I like his, I like his style a great deal. He's a local artist. Uh, he, um, there's the Cleveland cinemas, um, whenever they do their 12 hours of terror, uh, that he would do the posters for all the, the, the films in the series, like that was being shown. Uh, I have his, his predator, his, his alien and his, the thing prints that I know Steve, they used to be my old office. Like I, I like his artwork. I think, I think he's a cool, cool artist. And I had reached out to him specifically the night before. And I was like, Hey, I, I have an oddly specific thing. I would love to get your take on. And which is the, um, there's a fortune telling machine in, um, season two episode of the twilight zone called Nick of time that has Bill Shatner. There's your connection to uh, undiscovered country. Um, and it's a cool image. This, this, it's a devil headed fortune telling machine. It's a Richard Matheson written episode. It's like, it's one of my favorites of the series. And eventually, um, I would like to, I, I don't have any tattoos in my body right now because my body is immaculate. It is a temple, but it's a temple that has a lot of, um, it has a big courtyard. I don't know. Anyway, um, I would like to get some tattoos that are related to the twilight zone just because, uh, not that if, any, if 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 anybody is interested on the other show that I do, Strange Highways, which is a, a a chronological watch of the Twilight Zone, next week we'll be ending the original series. So it's been a five year investment. I would like it's been important to me. I'd like to get something to commemorate for it. So I was thinking about like getting like a sleeve of some sort done. Uh, so that devil headed fortune telling machine is cool. And I that that's a cool image. And I had him do one of those. Uh, and then Steve also did a piece of art for me a couple years ago uh, <laughs> that I'm going to get on my body that Steve's going to be horrified by because he's like, why would somebody take my art and put it on their body? It's going to happen, Steve. Deal with it. Um, I'm going to get, there's your crow smoking a cigarette. 
the bird circling. I'm going to get that on my body somewhere. And you're going to have to deal with it and see it every time and be mad. Also, the Batman you drew for me. I'm going to get that tattooed on me as well. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. about. <laughs> no. Well, I'll just say this about the, you know, you keep saying I'll be upset because you keep showing it to me. It depends on where you get it. You know, oh, no, it's like, I mean, I the, birds, it the ass, bird circling is so. going to be the tram stamp on my, my lower back. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, anyway, it's like that's, you know, it's, you're entering the Twilight Zone. Anyway, no. So I liked I liked Chad's artwork. He did that. He he wonderful. He works. It's mixed medium. Like he will do some watercolor and then like um, like well a lot of it was watercolor with some marker. Like it was really cool. Uh, I asked him like how much do you want for this? And he was like, well, just buy my comic. I've you know recently published. He has a thing called uh, was it uh, Baby Arms the Destroyer? I picked up a copy of that. It was like five bucks. Like why not? Got to support local artists and local comic book creators such as Steve. And I bought another print of his. And then I added like, like I doubled my, like my order in terms of money. And he was like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. Like I, Steve, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like, I think it's, I think it's in bad taste to go to somebody and ask for a piece of artwork with the knowledge that you're considering about using it as a tattoo. Because then what you're saying is I want you to make this artwork for free that I'm going to go use elsewhere. I think that's, I think that's shitty. So I was upfront with him the night before. I'm like, this is what I'm considering. He said to stop by, he did it for me. Like I paid, you know what I, like he was surprised by the, the, the money I offered him, but I'm like, I wanted him to know that I was being serious about and valuing his artwork. So that was my big investment for the weekend was asking him to do a thing for me specific. And it came out amazing. Like I, I really dig it. So anyway, Chad artist, everybody, his artwork's really, really cool. He has a comic out right now. You should check it out. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, you, I, I don't remember who I brought up uh, last week that you're like we should really keep them. In- oh, the heel, the, the heel. Yeah, he, you're like yeah. yeah that really gentleman was there as well. Them. His book was at the store. I did not pick it up. I apologize for that. But, no, no, yeah. no, no. I was just gonna say you brought up the fact that like oh, you know, we should try and get him on the show. Maybe the same thing with Chad. I don't know if he's ever done podcasts or if he's interested in coming on to talk, but <laughs> it'd be interesting to have him on. Yeah, no, and like I didn't. I didn't want to make it weird. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be like, well, here's what's going on. I mean, like, blah, 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 blah. You don't drop it all on them. But the people behind me are like, oh, what, why, why is he doing that for you? And I was trying to talk to them. And then it was like, have you ever talked to somebody that like knows something in passing, but they're not getting any of the facts right? It's, <laughs> it was one of those things like, he's like, oh yeah. He's like, I remember the twilight zone and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, nothing you're saying makes sense, but I'm just going to be like, yeah, that's right. You know, anyway, so whatever. But what Steve's talking about is that I did wait in line to meet Chris Claremont, which we've talked about him, a huge uh, influential writer of comics and especially the X-Men. Um, we've talked about him previously, specifically when we did an episode about his graphic novel, uh, God Loves Man Kills, uh, which I think is a very important book. Um, and I got to meet him and his letterer, who does live in Lakewood, who I'm going to mess up his last name and I apologize. It is... Um, Tom, Tom Borzakowski. There we go. He was. Uh, he lives in Lakewood, right? So now that like, he lives in our backyard, and now that I know that, Steve, you should go harass him because he seems like a really nice guy that wants to talk shop. So did, did he just move here or something? I don't know, like, but like he is here. He runs a business, and yeah, it's like he was v- very gracious, very nice. Um, you know, they were sitting side by side, and like yeah, just. It was one of those things where I when I opened the book because when people mentioned it because I forgot like we talked about this last week, um, I was like oh yeah his letterer is here too for a lot of his books and I'm like I flipped open my copy of God Loves Man Kills that I you know I I found a a copy that was used and like I mean gently used it looks mint of the original graphic novel as I remember having it as a kid 
And I'm like, this is what I want signed. And it turns out he did lettering for that too. So I'm like, okay, good. I don't want to be that jerk walking with a book that he didn't deal with. You know what I mean? Like I would have felt weird. Um, but yeah, he was super nice, super, super nice. Steve, go harass him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I, 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 how do I put this? Um, letters, you know, let me step back. People always like make the joke about inkers, you know, cause they've seen chasing Amy. So they're about like, tracers. Oh, I get yeah. it. Uh, you just trace. Ha 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 ha. But like, once you get past the inker, colorists don't get nearly enough uh credit and neither do letters um mm-hmm. letters are a very important part of the the process um and just to give you an idea like do you know who you know who lettered the first issue of todd McFarlane's spawn and i believe continued to letter it for a very long time this gentleman as well yeah, yeah. so like if he's good enough for todd McFarlane to pick out to be his letterer it means that he's he's doing something right. He's he's uh, good enough for one of the the you know top artists of the '90s at the time um, to bring them to Image. Uh, that's that's impressive. So um, I don't want to belittle all the other things that he's done because he's got a huge, huge, huge no, he, list of things that he's worked on. He's but one of those like, guys that like he's so good at his job that you don't think about it because that's how good they are, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's and it's a bummer, right? Because like. The, there's a lot of people behind the scenes and you're, I, and I don't think about lettering as much as I should. I don't think about inking as much as I should as uh, just like a casual reader, but they bring us so much and it's like, like it's yes. I'm glad that he was there. I'm glad I got to say thank you because you know, this is a book that's important to me and he was a part of it. Right. So it was a big deal. Yeah. I, I just wanted to point out that, you know, it, it's like, you know, pencilers always get the glory, and then you know there's always the joke made about the uh, the inkers. But you know, people don't o- people don't often consider the job of the colorist, and they certainly don't often consider the job of the, the letterer. Um, I would love to be more hands on with lettering. Uh, it's just not a skill that I possess, and I have a feeling uh, I have too many fires running right now trying to figure out how to do things better. Um, and lettering is the one that I probably. I don't want to say think about the least, but I am doing it digitally. So it's the one that I have to put the least amount of effort in. Um, well, even not with this- that though, cause I'm sure there's probably like as time moves on in technology as well. Right. Like I'm again, like I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to go harass an old man, Lakewood, Ohio, but you should, uh, he, he seemed so like open to talking to people. And I'm sure mm-hmm. if you come in from a position of like, you know, you, you're great at this. Can we talk for a minute? I, I'm, I think he would be very open to it. Uh, I, you know, now that I know these celebs, I'm just speaking on their behalf now, but anyway, yeah, like very, very nice man to meet and very thankful that, uh, when I told him, I was like, this was a big book for me. And, you know, like, yeah, really nice guy. Yeah. I, I, I do, uh, wish I would have been able to, to meet him, but I was too busy, uh, packing up my home and then uh, no, 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 your toys. not buying short boxes. No, you're, 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 put, you're putting all your toys away. I'm kidding. <laughs> very uh, true. No. Um, so <clears throat> the other, yeah, I get to meet Chris Claremont as well. Um, which, uh, so let me rewind back just a little bit. Uh, so the line for Claremont, um, which you know, Carol and John's, but they always do like a lights out job when they do any events. Like they are so, gracious and they have everything covered and they know like they are always thinking right like forward um 
when, when the line, like I, um, I got the artwork from Chad and then I got in line for Claremont and people are walking through like people that were working in the event. They're like, uh, just let you know, this is going to be a while. Um, five and a half hours is how long I waited to meet them. The both of them. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, I've waited in line longer for less, you know, but, uh, like the one time that was out in independence, at the holiday Inn. Uh, they were having open auditions for extras for the Avengers and I showed up in a shirt and tie and stood out in the sun for hours. So by the time they got to me, a, I'm already an overweight white guy, so I'm not probably cast, but I'm pretty sure you could have wrung the sweat from my tie. And I think I had sunstroke. I don't know, but that was a longer, worse wait. By the way, was not cast just so everybody's aware. I was not in the background of anything there for, uh, for the Avengers. Um, yeah, five and a half hours. Um, fine, whatever. Uh, so they're going through their, so like the people working there, they're like, by the way, they're like, Chris likes to talk, <laughs> meaning he is engaging with everybody, which is what you want. But it also is like, one of those things you keep watching the line. And you're like, what is going on in there? Like, who's talking about what? And then also too, with the way the event was set up, it was the first autograph was free. Every autograph after that was $10, which if anybody's ever got anything autographed by like a celebrity, that is that's a steal. Like it's ridiculous how, how cheap that is. Um, I saw people going in with like stacks of books to get signed. There was a guy that was like two people in front of me that was double digits with the books that Chris was signing. And that takes a while. And I like, I understand if that's what the offer is and you brought books in to be signed and you're paying, you know, you're paying what's being asked. I can't say that you're wrong part of me feels like there's something being taken advantage of there and you're, and you're, um, you're betraying the goodwill of everybody online. Am, am I wrong with that thought? I, that's how I thought about that. Well, I mean, the reason those types of things are happening now is, is because people are going to eBay. Like I, I feel like, um, there are some uh, bigger names who have that sort of like, you know, one or two signatures and then you have to pay for everything after. Um, and I guess if they're willing to pay for it, that's fine because, you know, I, not to bring up Rob Liefeld, but I think that he's got a rule maybe about either the first first appearance of Deadpool just because he knows that those get sold on eBay and I could be completely wrong on it and confusing him with another creator. But I, I, I get that, like, if, hey, if people are willing to pay for it and they can make some money off of it, because, you know, unfortunately, Chris Claremont, even though he's got such a huge, you know, library of work and has all these different comics that have come out, he doesn't have original artwork that he can sell on, like, the side. Mm -hmm. So, I, in my opinion, you know, artists have a little bit of a break because at least they get some of their work back to sell on the aftermarket, whereas... You know, somebody with Chris Claremont's name should be making money off of the things that he created. <laughs> and if he's charging 10 bucks a book, that's fine. I do wonder if people are doing that because they're such Claremont fans. Like, I could get, like, you know, you have a four-issue miniseries, and it's your all-time favorite four-issue miniseries, and you want to get all four of them signed. I get that. Like, if you're like, I'm, it's worth it to me to pay thirty bucks. Or, or if you if have somebody's if walking you have the, up with, with like twenty yeah, books, yeah. Or the five, the five uh, gatefold, not gatefold, but like the five issues of X Men One. 
Right. right? Like I get that. Like I, I do understand it to a point, but there's some, there's a certain amount of like, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I cut you off. It just, it, it was a little exhausting to see like just the bulk going in. I, I think part of it is just to, you know, like I said, offset people selling shit on eBay uh, because I've literally been at conventions pre-Kibay? Pre-Kibay. Pre-Kibay. Apparently, I can no longer talk. I listened to last week's episode, too. I'm like, I can't speak. I don't know what is going on with me anymore. Um, well, we're, we're just eventually just we're going to fall into our like we're going to have like twin language that no one can understand. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I was speaking Klingon, people. Klingon. Babu. So, Booba. <laughs> <laughs> I do promise we're going to get to Star Trek. but Yeah, yeah soon. Maybe. You know, I, I remember Kelly Jones, who's a huge, huge favorite of mine. Um, I remember being at a convention and somebody like, literally like had, I don't know, 50 bo- books in their hands and just set them down in front of him. And he signed every one of them. He didn't complain. He didn't say anything. I got my three books signed. <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, it was just a thrill to meet him and get to tell him, like, how much I loved his work. And I do, you know, I, I have a weird thing about getting stuff signed. Like, if if that person's dead and I know they're, I'm never going to get a chance to meet them, and it's like, oh, I can have something that they signed, I'm I'm, I'm willing to, to buy it. But, like, if it's somebody who's living, it would mean so much more for me to meet them. Yes. Like, for instance... Uh, when we went to uh, um, the Dawn of the Dead Mall, you know, um, I was just thinking uh, uh, Samuel uh, bought a check that was signed by George Romero, I think for like 50 bucks. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of weird, like cool thing. Like I could see myself buying something like that. Uh, just getting something signed that like I never got to meet that person and like appreciate having that work signed. That's not for me. Like I... I and I guess maybe, you know, hopefully those people were getting those things signed for themselves and mm-hmm. not like this is going up on eBay right now. Um, yeah, no, I get and that. I don't know yeah. that he's ever been in this area. Like, I, I don't know. I think he was at a convention that I was at. Maybe it was a Chicago show back in the 90s. I don't know that I've seen him anywhere near here in a very long time. Yeah. And, and from what I was reading on um, the, the Facebook page for Carolyn Johns, this was the second thing Claremont's done like in like two years because of the pandemic. And he was like, I don't even know if I have it in me anymore, but I guess because Cleveland was so great that he's like, he feels like it's like a, like a second win. So that's great. Right. So he signed my book. I, I told him both and Tom, um, that this is important to me. It was my first grown up book that I read as a kid. And I realized that there could be bigger things going on. They both appreciated that. And then, but I told them, I was like, you know, it's terrible that this story just keep, keeps getting louder and louder like they both kind of like, yeah, like, you know, like this is one of those things where I'm like, I love this book. People are still idiots, you know, like, but like, I, I didn't get this signed for value. I got it signed for, for me, you know, cause if I like also credit to Carol Johns too, I didn't, I didn't wait in line uh, to get, they had 1000, they got 1000 copies of the original, original run of X-Men one from the nineties for people mm-hmm. to grab. And that's cool. Like I, if I would have had time, I'd have grabbed a Magneto cover and had him sign it. But it's one of those things where I'm like this, like I didn't like, I didn't realize the commitment when I went there, like early in the morning, I'm like, this is going to take a while. Not my first rodeo. It's fine. And I just have my one book and this is the book I want to sign. Like we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, so that was great. And so I'll, I'll tell you my Chris Claremont story is one. He was nice to me, sign my book. I, you know, I told him I, this is important. He, you know, he also tried to upsell me on the hardcover. 
um, which is funny. But he's like, he's like, there's a frame store gun there that's a little. They, they added more to it, and I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I was like, but this is the one I had as a kid. He's like, no, he's like, I get it. He's like, I don't even have a copy of the hardcover one. I'm like, what? Like, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> the person next in line handed him an Extreme X Men. I don't know what number it was, but it had Gambit on the cover. And he goes through flipping through it because something happened where I asked for a photo and they're like, yeah, yeah, he can take photos. It's fine. But it got a little confused about who was signing what. So I took a step back. He was flipping through this extreme X-Men book and he was looking through it. He's like, ah, he's like, here's the one that, you know, everyone said Claremont can't write a book without dialogue. And he started flipping through it. Like you could hear the chip on his shoulder, like rattling as he's flipping through this book. He's like, huh, look at that. I did it. I'm like, <laughs> so he remembered the specific book that has no dialogue in it. And, and Tom did the lettering cause he did like the sound effects or like whatever, like when to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just funny that they talked about it for a second, that there's a book that Claremont wrote without a stitch of dialogue in it. And he was like, yeah, this is his big F you to everybody. that said he couldn't write a book with dialogue without dialogue. And he remembers which one. So there you go. I thought that was a funny story. That's surprising to me. Like maybe that was a special story that was close to his heart, but I, I do wonder like how many times people get handed something and they're like, I don't remember doing this. Cause I've talked to artists, uh, particularly where it's like, you know, I've handed them something and maybe they had a pin up it and they're like, am I in this? I'm like, yes, you're, <laughs> you're in there. Um, you know, because it's just a pin up or whatever. They didn't do the interiors or whatever, but, um, you know, that man has written a mountain of work, a yeah. mountain of work. So it must have been either a special story or he's got a really keen memory for uh, the, the things he's written. I do. If I was going to talk to him and I, I know I didn't go, so it's I shouldn't even like think about it. But I'd love to know about what his time at D.C. was like, because it was it always seemed weird to me that D.C. signed him to an exclusive contract after things fell apart at Marvel. You know, Jim Lee goes to Image. uh I don't even remember. I think it's. Uh, oh man, I can't think of his name now. Um, Scott Lobdell, actually, I think is the one who takes over from him, and they just sort of act like, oh yeah, it wasn't you know seventeen years or whatever it was of Claremont writing the X Men that people wanted. It's we can just put whoever we want on, and that's not a slam to Scott Lobdell. I'm sure it was a huge opportunity, but he kind of got a raw deal at Marvel, unfortunately, and he went to DC. And he did a creator own book that was called Sovereign Severn. I think it was like one of the few people who would actually get to do something in DC and actually have a creative own deal. But I do wonder, I would love to know, like, was there a reason that nobody was like, let's put Chris Claremont on Batman or let's put Chris Claremont on Superman or anything like mm-hmm. it's very interesting to me that it was just the creator own stuff. And maybe I'm misremembering and maybe he did have a book as well under the DC proper line that he was doing. But it just it's it still seems weird to me now where I'm like, God, you know, why not cash in on having Chris Claremont? Why not? Like you can have his creator own book. I mean, that's certainly probably something that he brought to them is like, yeah, I can either do it here or I can go to image and image is killing you right now. What do you guys want to do? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's probably why DC snapped it up. But, it, you know, it's interesting. I would have thought for sure that. You know, Chris Claremont's Justice League. Chris, you know, I mean, that would be the big F you to Marvel if they were like, that would have been amazing. Yes, you're right. Yeah. um, He's no longer writing X-Men, but you know what he is writing? The Justice League. Like, I'm surprised that something like that didn't come out of it. And I'd be curious to know, you know, what the the details were of that, that, 
there's there's a documentary about him. I don't know if you've watched it or not. Did you? Did, it's on Amazon Prime. It's for free. I, I meant to get to it. I did not. Um, I haven't. Yeah, it's it's about. I mean, it's 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 more probably about the X Men, but how like that book was kind of like the second run. He he brought it into prominence and how like oh X Men doesn't exist in the form that it does today without Chris Claremont. There's yeah, no right? doubt. And like the fact that like you know you look at um. I don't know how many like this, the X Men Two, but X Two is is basically God loves man kills, right? It's 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 ripped from that. We literally have a movie called Days of Future Past, right? Like, um, yeah, it's just I mean, I've not seen the documentary. Like I said, I meant to, and he talks about. Um, I guess there's some um, animosity towards him and Jim Lee, but whatever. Um, you know, really, I've never heard that. I didn't know that. Well, we should watch the documentary at some point. Maybe yeah, no, notes, I'd right? be curious to know that because yeah. I. I, I do believe that he was going to write at one point for Wildcats, and then that fell through. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe Who that's but maybe I mean, that's where the animosity like comes X-Men from. X Men One from the nineties is one like it's one of the highest selling books of all time, right? So as much yeah. as you might be frustrated it, with um, your artist, like people know the book, right? Because that was one of the things too in line. <clears throat> and this is what I'll say to kind of wrap it up. Um, is that, well, Claremont was, was nice to meet. Like I, I, I also felt obligation to the people behind me. Cause I was watching, like, it's like, have you ever seen like the walking dead in real life? It's that line that was behind me, you know, like everybody was just like, Ugh. um, and they're all dead and just wanting brains. But I just wanted to get through the line fast because it's like, I wanted to be respectful to them and also like everybody else behind me. Um, so with, with that being said, uh, while I was waiting in line, like Steve, I know you and I are true fans. Like, not true fans, as in like capital T apostrophe, like or like a trademark, like trying to be assholes for everybody else that are like not fans. But have you ever been around people that are also fans that are like, you know what? I know you're a fan, but thank Christ I'm not you. Like, there was some weirdos around me for five hours while this was going on, um, and it was just. I'm glad I had my mask on because they couldn't see my face changing over while watching. Like, there was some some goddamn weirdos around me for five hours and I had to play nice. And that, that tapped my, um, like my social well being. <laughs> While I was waiting in line as much as like my back hurt, like my shoulders hurt from carrying conversations with weirdos. But that's, um, that's not Claremont's fault. That's not Tom's fault. But, um, yeah, there was one old guy older than me that he had just a single copy of X-Men one. And like, he kept like wandering the line talking about how long things were and like just inserting himself in conversations. I'm like, I know I'm older too, but you're like, I don't want to be that weirdo. I've already talked about how I feel like I'm a freshly shaved potato man right now with a hat on. Uh, I mentioned that last week I had my hat on, like I had my hat, my mask on. So people couldn't see my shame of my face or my hair. Um, but that got a little tired. And then the guy behind me, every single time he talked about something, he got something wrong. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't handle this amount of, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, and that feels like, I I feel like that's the guy that's pushing his glasses up and being like comic book guy from the Simpsons. But there's a certain amount of like, do do you not even, where's your sources for any of this? Everything you're saying is wrong. And I felt weird about it, but I had to suffer through for five hours of weird fandom. Have you dealt with that? Because I, I feel like everybody has. I have, and you know, you do that thing where you uh, you look around and you go, "Well, at least I'm not that guy." You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> it, it's partially denial, maybe, and partially uh, just re- self assurance. And I'm like, "Well, 
I'm a big nerd. I'm I've made my peace with that long ago. But at least I'm not this guy. Like yes. I I've definitely had that feeling. I remember specifically we were at a convention. I think it was Mid Ohio Con. It was when uh, oh Ryan Reynolds was announced as Green Lantern, and I remember talking to Ryan about it and being like, "Yeah, I'm like I just I don't know. I'm like I don't know that I see him as as Hal Jordan. I'm like I don't dislike Ryan Reynolds, but I, I'm like I don't I just don't see him as the Hal Jordan type." And then like two seconds later, we because I think we were either on an escalator or I don't remember where we were, but we overheard a conversation of some guy like just complaining about how, you know, Ryan Reynolds is going to ruin Hal Jordan and Green Lantern. And I was like, I'm just going to shut up now. I'm like, I I don't want to be that guy. Please tell me I'm not that guy, Ryan. Like, please, please, please. Like, just because, you know, it wasn't like I was going to like boycott the movie or like not see it. But I was just like, ah, I don't know. If he's the guy because I wanted Nathan Fillion. If, if you, you must know, I was like Nathan Fillion should be Hal Jordan hands down. Um but then I heard the other guy, and I was like, oh, God, please tell me I don't sound like that. Like, I just don't want to be that guy. Tell me I'm better than him, at least. So and Did Ryan just, like, get quiet and just look up as you're going up the escalator and, like, <laughs> talk to you? Well, I, I, I don't remember what how the interaction uh, finished, but I, do, I think I've mentioned this previously uh, when we were waiting in line for uh, – you know, refreshments at the movie theater the year that uh, Star Wars was uh, released as a special editions. And I was standing uh, next to Ryan and I was hearing two girls talk about Star Wars and not knowing which movie they were seeing. And like, I think this is the one with the Ewoks. And like, he could see I was like ready to fume. And it's like, <laughs> he leaned in and he's like, hey, you know what? Maybe correcting girls about their Star Wars knowledge isn't the best way to get laid. And I'm like, you know what? It's a good point. I should probably not, uh, not you, say, hey. And then you guys went uh, on to get laid that night is what happened, right? No. I'm well, we did not. But like, <laughs> yeah. and he might not have even used that phrase. Utini. Anyway, continue. Yeah, continue. but like, you know, he might have just said to meet girls. But No, no. Like, uh, but it's, like, it's the same thing. Age, yeah. That was what was on my mind. No, um, it, it's, a, it's the whole thing of like when you see somebody, like I've, I've seen the meme of like, uh, a girl wearing a Nirvana shirt and someone's like, yeah, name their three songs. It's like, you can't, you can't judge somebody else's fandom like versus like your own. However, this is an asterisk where it's like when people are just like spouting like nonsense around you, you're like, I understand that you probably have other commi- commitments in your life and I absorb the internet, you know, and I know who I am. I get it. I'm just this, uh, you know, potato man full of random knowledge. I get it. But it's like, just, can you at least like speak from something that makes sense? Like give me an anchor, give me something to hang on to. But for five hours of just like, mm-hmm, mm, yeah, yeah, that makes no, no. It's the same thing. Like when I worked at uh, Cedar point uh, in Sandusky, Ohio, the, you know, the America's rock and roller coast and all the employees there that thought they had the inside track on what the new ride would be. It's like, you're all idiots. Like it, it, like you're not the CEO. You have no idea what's going on. Please shut up. Please, please, please shut up. Like, anyway, sorry. Not to turn the sour, but it was like five hours. It wasn't in the sun directly, but standing and moving like a few few feet at a time for five hours. It was, um, you know, like my regret My regret was I didn't bring my headphones. That was my regret. <laughs> There's also that awkward moment when somebody like the, the conversation takes a turn. Like maybe you are starting to like spark with somebody in line and you're just like talking about things that you, you know, like or whatever. And then they bring something up and you're like, oh, no, we went here. No, 
Well, that's fair. Uh, like, this there is was... where you and I have to end the conversation because <laughs> you're a douchebag. No, there was a couple uh, people around me that were okay. It's just that there was other one. Like, like uh, there was a gentleman in front of me who uh, was a big X Men fan. He knew more than me, so like, like legitimately, and like he brought his partner with him that like didn't ex- like expect the wait in line <laughs> so they kept like like um flittering off to go do other things and you could just tell that like they were exasperated and then at one point like they left and he was like he's like yeah it's like um he owes me for this pottery thing we went to <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like amazing like like the, the conversation just opened up from there and like like he was great like his partner like you know they weren't a fan of anything, but like they weren't a bad person, but you could just tell it's like, they didn't know what they were in for. You know what I mean? Like you had to kind of, you had to sympathize a little bit, but, um, no, like, yeah, just, I don't know. Like we always talk about like, um, it's very important. This is one of the tenets of the show is that, uh, um, you know, if you get a chance to meet those that have influenced your life, like I know they say never meet your heroes. Cause sometimes that comes out a little sour, but whatever, even if, even if Claremont was kind of a jerk, it's like, I wanted him to know he influenced me to open my mind to the possibility of what comic books could be. And I think like, that's an amazing gateway drug, right? So that's where I am with that. You know, like even we're all human. We are, we're all shitty people sometimes I get it, but he was nice. Uh, Tom, Tom, I always, I, I keep failing at his name. Where I don't want to mess it up. Yeah, there you go. Was, was really, really nice. Um, Carol and John's staff was always like top notch. Uh, Ryan was a dick to me. I'm kidding. He was not a dick. He was wonderful. When I talked to Ryan, when I saw him, <laughs> he says like, like screw the slasher shit. I've not done it. I didn't say any of that. No, I'm kidding. Um, no. Um, and Chad, uh, Chad artist, uh, you know, like I had, a, I, and also too, by the way, shout out to Jeff Ritchie, a uh, friend of the show, his, he, he painted these big, um, like, uh, backdrops for photos. And he recreated some of the X-Men covers and his artwork is top notch. And I love being able to get posed against that. And I love that he brought in the mascot of Carol John's comics, the orange cat Winston and made Winston one of the X-Men that delights me. I I just, so yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day. Just, it took a while, but it was a good day. And that's what happens sometimes. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Ritchie and, uh, he had messaged me on Friday because Friday was Friday the 13th. He's like, hey, are you guys doing anything for Friday the 13th on Instagram? I'm like, sadly, no. I'm like, my life is complicated right now at the best. We'll put it that way. And I'm like, I got a whole lot of stuff going on. So I don't think we have the time. He's like, OK, I'm I'm just noodling on something like, you know, just, you know, I'm like, OK. And like he sends me this gorgeous. Uh, yes. Jason Voorhees piece. And I'm like, well, there's no way I'm not putting this on Instagram. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm just noodling. God, I really need just, to pick it up a you know, notch. Like, Jeff it's is so good. Yeah, uh, hum- he's a humble son of a bitch, but he needs to know he he's is. good. You know, uh, I love him, and he's a great friend. And um, but goddamn, you're like, oh, you're just noodling. Yeah, okay, great. If you're noodling, then I don't know what the opposite of noodling is. That's what I do. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, no, his his Jason was wonderful. Um, but yeah, anyway, that I, I'm sorry. We are 44 minutes into the year of the sequel. We've not even gotten to star Trek. I apologize, but Claremont, I think Chris Claremont was worthy of uh, the conversation. And, um, yeah, that was, it was, we it have was, 16 minutes left to talk about star Trek six. So let's, uh, no, just kidding. <clears throat> yeah, no. Um, so, but, but yeah, that's, that's what happened. It was, it was a pretty big weekend, right? Like you can't like, uh, if, 
I'm going to put this to you real quick. And then what, this is going to take us another 16 minutes. Um, what other, what other creators or are like artists? Like if they were like, like who, who are the ones? Cause I have a couple that I would like, I would wait five hours for like, who, who would you wait for if they were accessible and you could go do it? So I knocked a big one off my list, which was Kevin Nolan, who is maybe my top five artists of all time. Um, at one, he, 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 <clears throat> he, he vies for the, the top spot a lot of the time. Um, I just love Kevin Nolan. Um, and I got to meet him uh, back in the days when you were running the show with Joe. You were at a Neo Comic Con, and uh, which I still, for some reason, can't get a table at. But uh, you guys had had a table there one year, and he was the yeah, guest. Yeah, someone canceled, and, and we got it for free. So let, well, <laughs> let you know. Wasn't like I, we, I've uh, sent inquiries know. like every year and like I never hear back. I'm like, okay, I guess they don't want me, but which is fine. I was but like, I got to if we get booked, only... Steve can't come, is what I said. You know? <laughs> I, I uh, not only got to uh, you know buy a sketch from him, I got to buy some uh, layouts for some of his work, and he let me go through his portfolio and not even his portfolio. He just had pages there that he was selling, and they were way out of my price range. Like if I had stupid money to spend. I would absolutely throw down the cash for it. And I shouldn't even say stupid money. It's just that like I was in a financial place where I couldn't spend that money still sort of in, am in that place. But, uh, at some point I will own one of his pages. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of who I might wait in five hours in line for. Um, cause, cause Kevin Nolan was like the last one off my list. I was like, he was a big one for me to get to meet. Um, Boy, um, you know, I, I met Jim Lee back at a convention in the 90s, um, and I wasn't that big of a fan of his at the time. Um, yeah, I know. I, the 90s and Jim Lee and saying that I wasn't a big of, of a fan of him yeah. uh, at the time is is weird. But, like, I somehow didn't really give a serious look to a lot of his work until i picked up his 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 fantastic four heroes are born but i don't think it was until he was on batman that i was like oh, i really need to pay more attention to jim lee and then sort of started going backwards and looking at stuff um gosh i'm trying to think um boy well, like uh, you give an answer and yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple I'll answers how about this like mcfarlane i'd wait five hours for as much as i know we i kind of sandbag some of like yeah this is what he does but it's like mcfarlane was big in my life in terms of the original not original his spider-man runs great I, I got to meet Bagley like as much as like it was like one and done and real quick, but I got to at least meet the man that make is one of my favorite Spider-Man artists. That's great. Uh, if, if, if Brian Michael Bendis ever shows his face in Cleveland again, I'd love to meet him. Um, I also with Peter David, another amazing writer. I'd love to meet him as well. Um, you know, they're, they're like in terms also an artist. Um, what was it? Um, John Romita Jr. Christ, I'd wait five hours for him too. Those are all good answers. I can say that I met uh, Brian Michael Bendis back in oh, son of a bitch. I'm kidding. Yeah. I actually have. Uh, I was right around the time that Powers was starting to pick up, uh, so I got a Powers uh, sketch of Christian. Uh, if you read Powers back in the day, the first arc was about uh, Christian Walker. I think his name is. Mm -hmm. Uh, who is a former superhero who's now a police detective. And the whole first story revolves around this little girl. So it's a drawing of uh, Walker with a little girl uh, drawn by Michael Avon Oming, who's the artist on the book. And both him and Bendis signed it. I have, uh, I had him sign, I think, 
Uh, there's two books that he wrote that I really love that aren't like traditional comics. They're uh, um, autobiographical, I should say. One is about his experiences in Hollywood, and the other one, I believe, is a collection of short stories. Um, I had both of those signed by him. Really nice guy. Uh, this is just me stalling to try and find somebody. Uh, like also, like, that there, you know, I'm just blanking. I mean, no. if J. Michael Straczynski showed up anywhere nearby, I would be there in a heartbeat. Like just my God, like that guy has uh, changed my, like my viewpoint on comics. Like I'd like to meet him as well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, it's not specific to comics, but obviously if uh, Gary Larson, was- I'm sorry, go ahead. Please. What? No. Who? I said Gary Larson, the far side. I'm just oh, okay. yeah. Larson. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Can you please draw me a cow doing something weird, please? <laughs> Drew Struzan, I think I would oh, certainly for, wait in oh line my five God. hours yeah, for. Like, like if if um if the you know the hellscape that is like adjacent to twenty twenty, that's now twenty twenty one. Uh Doug Jones is showing up at a convention in September in Michigan. Um I I think I'm taking my Struzan art book and having him sign the the Golden Army poster. Nice. Like that would be, yes. Like, like I, Struzan would be the big, right? Like that would be amazing to me. You're right. That's a good call. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's kind of sad. I'm looking right now at, uh, it's both good and bad. There are people that I've met that I'm like, Oh, I, I'd knock them. I'd knock them off my list. Um, that are important to me. And then there are people I'm like, Oh, they're gone. I'm never going to get to meet them. Um, so, uh, Wow, I'm sorry I don't have a better answer. I mean, no. sure, probably somebody like McFarlane, but I hate to admit it, but there might be a part of me that's like, I got to pee. I'm walking out of this line. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm i going to go look around or whatever. Uh, maybe Alan Moore, but I feel like oh. Alan Moore would just tell me to go to hell. Which, uh, by the way, I mean, that would be on brand. So it'd also be like, um, like I, th- I think I talked about if I ever met uh, Edward James almost, I want him to punch me in the gut. Like that's what, like <laughs> he seems like the nicest guy in the world, but I, I, I identify him as Adama and Battlestar. So I need him to punch me in the stomach. That's where I like, that's what I need. Like a good, honest punch the stomach. And I'm like, Oh, that hurts. Thanks Adama. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'd wait five hours to meet Joe Kazada, but he's somebody who's on my list of people. Uh, Mike um, Manley. I, I would wait a while because you know, co-creator of dark Hawk. I would do that in a heartbeat uh, because Darkhawk. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess you, you um, uh, underestimate my ability to stand around weirdos. That's what, that's where we're at with that. So, well, it's also this weird thing too, of like, you know, the last big, uh, you know, I mentioned Kevin Nolan, but one of the other big pillars who's now unfortunately passed is Bernie Wrightson. And I got to meet him and I had my copy of creep show signed and, uh, <sighs> I was broke. I couldn't afford really much of anything. So it was like, uh, you know, he signed my book and I would have loved to have bought an original piece from him. But like, we are talking like easily higher thousands. Uh, and I'm talking like maybe closer to the $10,000 range. Like oh, it was geez. not even in a ballpark that I could figure out, but, um, he was a sweet man and a really nice guy. Uh, and I, I wish now that I would have been like, Hey man, what, what can you do in this price range? Like, is there anything that you can do? And I'm not saying that I need it to be, you know, anything fancy, but like, cause I've had experiences too with artists where, you know, I've been like, Hey, I've got this amount of money. What can I get? Um, and people are usually artists, obviously we like to make money. Um, so if we could tell that the person's passionate about what we're doing, they'll usually cut you a deal. 
because it, it wasn't lying. I wasn't like haggling. I was just like the one artist is like, I have this much money, you know, I, and then I opened it up like, you know, I was like, I have this many dollars. Look, um, <laughs> can you please just do like the left bolt on Frankenstein's neck, please? Just That's fine. I just want a left bolt. How much for the left bolt? But no, I was just looking at stuff and like, I'm like, I'm like, I, I've got this much money. And he's like, he's like, OK. And I'm like, what do you have in here that I can get for that? And just happened to be on a page that I was looking at. And he's like, I'll give it to you for that. And I was like, sold. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's it's tough. Like, I I'm looking around at my room. I mean. And I'm trying to come up with somebody who isn't dead or a legend that I got to thankfully meet. So. Um, there's a ton of guys. There's there's people too that I could have met at conventions that I kick myself for now. Yeah. Um, so. Well, no, but yeah. you've given you've given you've given some examples. I asked the question, right? So, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, but I, I don't feel like it was a good answer. Like I feel like I should have a. <laughs> well, here, here, I'll put this on you. While we're talking about Star Trek Six: Undiscovered Country, if it gets if if you do the thing that I do, where you get like this bolt lightning in your head, and you just want to shout it out. That's fine. <laughs> Like you're just like, oh shit! You just like mention whoever. That's fine. I'll ex- that's allowed, right? Because by the way, this is our show, and we do what right. we want, right? So, um, yeah. Anyway, we're an hour, <laughs> an hour in. <laughs> Sorry, people. You're the sequel, not Star Trek. Anyway, so and we started this episode as like, oh, this should go pretty quick. Yeah, we we fooled ourselves. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, so that was, that was like, but also I think it was important to talk about, like, you got to meet your heroes, right? And, and again, if I ever get the opportunity to meet Drew Struzan in person, I mean, uh, Mary and my wife, Mary, and my my, uh, my friend, Terry, who's my other husband on another podcast I do, The Strange Highways, got me that amazing Blade Runner print signed by him. Like, that's amazing. I love it. I'd still like to meet the man, right? So I think it's important. So anyway, yeah, anybody. All right, but, so here, here's one. They're not a creator. But it just popped into my head because I've okay. mentioned that I've met one of my biggest heroes, Mark Hamill. If by some chance I had to wait five hours to meet Michael Keaton, I, I would do that just because Batman 89 was so important to me as a kid. Um, oh, I'd, and, wait, I'd wait five hours for Michael Keaton for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I realize that's not really the, the eh, same. Thing, no, it's, it's the same thing. They shaped your life, right? Like I waited 30 seconds to meet the goblin head from uh, maximum overdrive, but I would have waited a little while longer, right? But not the same thing. <laughs> Wouldn't have waited five hours, but <laughs> they've been like, Oh, he's take a break. I'm like, he's a goblin head. Why is what's going on anyway? <laughs> um, no. So there you go. I know I, I would wait five hours for Michael Keaton. Absolutely. I waited like about that long to meet wrestler AJ styles. And then he left and we didn't meet him. So there you go. So like, <laughs> Cause like he was only there. It was that cricket store. That was like, it was the same line I was in at Carol and like Carol, when I was waiting, Carol Johnson, same Plaza, me mm. and some friends waited almost the same amount of time and didn't meet the person. So you want to tell me I had some PTSD going into like the last like half hour. I'm like, is this going to happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I've waited in line longer to not meet somebody, but anyway, so yeah, meet your heroes, meet those that do the things you love. Like that. Cause you know, it, it, it's it's going to be a net gain because of the things that you love. And my whole thing is don't bog them down with like a shit ton of questions about everything. Just like, and, and, and let's, let's Steve actually knows what he's talking about. Be like, hey, tell me about your DC time here. Um, just say thank you and tell them that you appreciate it because that, that's, a, that's big, right? So anyway, 
Um, that's going to do it for that part of the conversation. Let's just get into our year of the sequel. Finally, 56 minutes into the episode, which I'm sure people are annoyed that I always call it the times, but you know, if you're annoyed, I'm the, I am that much more annoyed at me for talking this long. So, um, as am I No, just <laughs> with me, I get it. So here you go. Uh, let's just listen to the trailer and we'll talk about uh, star Trek six, the undiscovered country. Captain's log, star date 6051. Had trouble sleeping last night. My hiatal hernia is acting up. The ship is drafting and damp. I complain, but nobody listens. Star Trek 12. So very tired. See the original cast in their latest, greatest adventure. Captain Klingon's off the starboard bow. Again with the Klingons. Mr. Scott, give me full power. It's no good, Captain. I cannot reach the control panel. Movies! What a ripoff! I don't have to sit here and take this. I... Oh, sorry. Let me play the actual trailer. You son of a bitch. <laughs> the Klingon Empire has 50 years of life left to it. To offer Klingons a safe haven within Federation space is suicide. They're animals. Jim, they are dying. And you, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The galaxy stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another? Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country future on the brink of war we come in peace and you blatantly defile that we haven't fired according to our databanks we have i shall blow you out of the stars now the crew of the starship enterprise will not be the instigators of full-scale war on the eve of universal peace they're coming about battle stations fights not to win battles incoming signal our surrender Captain? We surrender. But to end them forever. We would consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war. There will never be a better time. This is Captain Sulu, USS Excelsior. We stand ready to assist you. This is fun. You do prefer it this way, as it was meant to be. Warrior to warrior. She cannot take much more of it. Cry havoc! Kill! And let's slip the dogs of war! Fire! Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. For year of the sequel this evening, we are talking about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, this is the, as we mentioned earlier, it's the swan song for the original cast of Star Trek, um, directed by um, Nicholas Meyer, who uh, I thought was credited as a writer, but I don't actually see him in the credits, which is interesting, because he, he also did writing on uh, Star Trek IV, and obviously... 
we know that he did some touch-ups on Wrath of Khan, which he directed. Um, yeah, no, he so he actually did the screenplay with Denny Martin uh, Flynn. Okay, uh, story by Nimoy uh, Koner and Mark Rosenthal, and also I found out reading in, in the trivia that uh, Meyer actually wrote the bulk of Wrath of Khan. He wrote it in fourteen days. But because the the film was moving along so fast, he didn't actually wanted to get bogged down in negotiations for writing credit. So he actually was like, fine, just like, like let's just do this. So he actually wrote the screenplay, and I think he got like a story credit. But because they didn't want to stop because they were moving along so quickly because it was such a fast turnaround time, he actually wrote the bulk of that screenplay. He's actually a big deal for um, Star Trek. I want to put a pin in Meyer. We'll come back to him later. Please, yeah. I will say real quick, though, um, Meyer is not somebody who was a diehard Star Trek fan. So when you hear people complain about writers rooms, uh, for Star Wars, for pe- people who aren't diehards and don't know the mythology the way they do, just go Star Trek yes. too. Yeah. Cause you, uh, the yeah. best Star Trek movie was brought to you by a guy who needs the least about Star Trek or not even watch the motion picture. Right. Cause yeah. if he would have started watching that, he would have been still sitting there for 14 days before he even wrote the screenplay <laughs> for the second one. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him yeah. more in depth once we're talking about the movie, but yeah, uh, we'll put a pin in Meyer for right now. So the cast here, obviously I'll just go through the names. You guys should all know them by now. Uh, and if we're new to Star Trek, I don't know why you'd be listening to this episode as your starter, <laughs> but, uh, you've got William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk. You've got Leonard Nimoy as Spock, DeForest Kelly as Leonard McCoy or Dr. McCoy. Uh, James Dewan as Bones McCoy, Bones McCoy, Bones McCoy. Yes. Uh, James Dewan as Montgomery Scott. Uh, You've got Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov, Michelle Nichols as Nyota Uhura, which I don't think I knew her first name until maybe the 2009 film. I agree with that. Yeah. uh, That's how she's listed here. So maybe it already existed. Uh, And then George Takei as Sulu. Uh, So those are, are regulars here. I'm going to mention the people who are either regulars to star Trek, but also maybe new in this series or, um, characters who aren't the main characters that we know from star Trek. So, uh, first up, we've got, uh, Kim, Kim Cattrall as uh, Lieutenant Valeris, uh, for, I think obviously the biggest credit for her, uh, is uh, mannequin from 1988. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sex in the City is obviously the biggest one. No, no, Big Trouble in Little China. That's well, her that's biggest. What's interesting credit. is she's all over the place. Where I'm like, why? Why didn't her career pop sooner? Because she's in Big Trouble in Little China. Obviously, you know, mannequin, lighthearted, romantic comedy. Um, but also um, Star Trek Six, obviously. Um, and there was one other that was like in the top of my brain that just fell off. But I, I feel like she's throughout. Yeah, a lot right. of the 80s, early 90s, and it's not until you get to sit at Sex in the City where she really, like, her career takes off. Um, and boy, I wish I could think of that other movie, but I want to. I mean, to be fair, Chris, Christopher Plummer didn't take off until he was also in the Sex in the City playing Carrie. So let's be honest. That's fair. It's very fair. <laughs> uh, so you've got uh, Mark Leonard as Ambassador Sarek. Uh, I think that's probably the, the role that he's most well known. And he actually played a Romulan in a very well known. Star Trek episode before playing uh, Spock's uh, father. Uh, I think it's the first season of uh, the series as well, Um, but he's best known as Spock's father. Mm. 
um, Grace Lee Whitney, who, uh, for those of you who know her as Hume and Rand on the original Star Trek, I believe here she's just listed as Excelsior Communications Officer uh, Rand, which I guess is a promotion. Uh, but she was, uh, I believe, also appears in uh, Part 3 and I think Motion Picture as well. Um, it's funny because I thought that was, uh, was it Majel Barrett? I, I thought that was her. Like, I thought that was the voice of the computer because um, we always hear her. I thought that was her. But you're right. It's somebody different. Yeah. Um, Brock Peters, uh, I think, uh, you know, probably his biggest credit, uh, and I should say he's playing Admiral Cartwright in this. His biggest credit is obviously to kill a mockingbird. And we may want to talk a little bit about him, um, in relation to the character that he's playing is, uh, the things that I've read about him and seen, uh, he actually had some very tough part. He had, he had, he had trouble getting through what his character was in this movie. Um, cause he found, uh, his point of view to be very, uh, uh, oppositional to probably oppositional. his. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, like he understood it as an actor, but he's like, I don't know that I want to be this person. <laughs> Like he had trouble getting through it. And, uh, I think that that's basically playing a bigot. <laughs> like yeah, that's what you're basically. saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to dance around it, but yeah, that's yeah. essentially what it is. Um, so we'll talk about him when we get to the, 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 the film itself, but, uh, I'll finish out some, some other credits here real quick. Uh, Kurtwood Smith is a uh, Federation president. Dumbass. Who, Sorry. Oddly. Man. Yeah. Red Foreman's probably his biggest credit or, uh, you know, RoboCop is probably the other one, but uh, for me, uh, yeah, it's it's as much as I love RoboCop, he's always going to be Red Foreman. Although he's had yeah. other roles in Star Trek movies as well uh, and series, so uh, I think that's interesting about him. We're going to say the same thing about uh, he was David Clar- Warner. Yeah, he was Clarence Boddicker and RoboCop, and it's like, and I had, I'd seen this film before. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, and I, I dug this movie. But because it was Kurtwood Smith, I'm like, when's he going to be the asshole? Like, you're waiting for him to call the Federation dumbasses the entire time. I don't think I made the connection back in the day between him and Clarence Boddicker. Well, so, yeah, uh, I think that he's he's a he's he looks, a really he looks good at the rest of the Federation. He's like, bitches, leave, you know, whatever. Anyway, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> uh, Christopher Plummer is Chang, uh, not saying you're Chang from uh, Community, but uh, Chang the Klingon. Uh, Christopher Plummer has like a huge filmography. Uh, I feel like the last big thing that he's known for was stepping in for Kevin Spacey um, in the uh, Ridley Scott film. That was um, no, no, but he actually was in Knives Out after that. That was the last uh, thing that he was like the big thing he was in was Knives Out, which if have you seen Knives Out? Yes, I've seen Knives Out. Okay, so no, I thought it was after that. My apologies. No, but like I wasn't trying to like shit on Christopher. No, 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 no. We've talked about him before one of our year ofs. If you remember, he, he was in Star Crash this year. So I thought yeah. that I thought the Ridley Scott thing happened after. It was like, what, what was the name of that film? Like all the money in the world or something. That was something. Like, yes. Yeah. All the money in the world, which yeah. I see now was 2017. Yeah. But we've talked about him in Star Crash where he was like, oh, this movie's shit. But I got a nice two week vacation in Rome. Like I love Christopher Plummer. So, well, apparently you know. he also goes back with William Shatner, which we'll talk yeah. about a little bit as well. Both of them, I believe, are Canadian. Uh, and yes, he was born in uh, Toronto, Ontario. So uh, I believe they had worked with each other in the 60s as well Yeah, um, on the stage. So uh, I'm 
to keep me from messing up anybody else's credits, I'll just mention David Warner. David Warner is Chancellor Gorkon, also appears in other Star Trek uh, films as well. Uh, I believe he was originally supposed to be Freddy Krueger, uh, who at, he at one point uh, couldn't do the makeup or something along those lines. Um, but, uh, you know, he's in, you know, Titanic. He's in uh, Paul's favorite movie, Tron. Uh, yeah, he's, he's Sark. Come on, you got you got to do that. Also, he was in a uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Ooze as Professor That's Jordan correct. Perry. You know, the esteemed David Warner <laughs> in that film. Uh, no, David Warner just has a presence, right? Like I just, even if he was in this film a long time. Like it was wonderful to have him in it. Yeah, so um, he's he's great in this as well. Um, and then the last two that I'll mention, John Shuck uh, as the Klingon ambassador, uh, who first originates in Star Trek Four. I believe he also appears in Five, and then in Six, uh, he's got a really big filmography as well. Um, he's uh, probably best known for Star Trek because I feel like he's a character actor, so maybe you wouldn't know him from other things. But he's got a very long filmography as well. Um, I always think of him, I believe he was Herman Munster in a uh, uh, Munster's remake. It might have been late 80s, early 90s when that happened. Um, you know, boy, I'm really hoping now that I'm not wrong on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Munsters today, Herman Munster. Um, so he was uh, Herman at one point. And then Michael Dorn, obviously, uh, playing a descendant of his own character. Or not even a descendant of his own character, playing the... Great grandfather, I believe, of a character he'll play in Star Trek and the Next Generation. This is the first movie that sort of makes a connection to where Star Trek has gone beyond the original crew uh, in this film. Yeah, and I also want to mention real quick here we have Aman as mm. uh, Marta, Martia, who um, gorgeous God in this. And she was it. a lot of fun. And she was also the spouse <sighs> of David Bowie. And also, um, not in the version that you and I watched. But um, Rene Arbogenaz as uh, Colonel West. Yes. Yeah. So you got another Star Trek connection there, too. I um, believe he was just Odo. Uh, yeah, he was just Odo. He was, the... he was just shifting around. He was the yeah. second shifter in this movie. And also a Christian Slater that showed up because um, what the casting director, that was his like son, their son, her son. It's like, hey, come on, Christian Slater. The kids want to see you in shadow. Whatever. So what we're clicking. Quickly learning here is is that I'm terrible at doing this rundown of credits because every time you're like, oh, you, you left the like no, you're not terrible at it. So here, let me just let me pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh, Steve was like, anytime we talk about movies, we kind of like butcher the cast, which um, we we just talked about Suicide Squad. I realized in hindsight that was a very messy conversation, but it's a very messy movie in the best way possible. So I hope you bear it with us. No, I think it's important to to highlight the the cast and crew. I think it's I think this one's also kind of like like it's packed to the gills. And the more I read about it, this film succeeds in spite of itself. Like not not meaning that like those that are working on it didn't want this to be a good movie, but like the studio kept like pushing, like saying, no, 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 no. got to cut costs, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. How do you come out with this like lower budget versus five, which will I'm going to ask you a question in a second. And somehow oh, I have a question for you. No, oh, oh, fine, fine. Here, bring me a question right now. Go for it. So this is just something that occurred to me, and I'm going to leave other uh, series, other films out of this. But of the original six, 
we're not counting generations because the full cast does not appear. Where does this rank for you as far as your ranking of one through six? Well, considering like I need, I honestly like I need to rewatch the other ones. Like, cause I mean, you pussy, just say it. No, 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 no. Like, <laughs> Whoa. All right. That's a hot take. All right. Um, whew, gotta, where, where are you coming with that? That's a, that's, that's some hot take, Steve. Um, <laughs> oh, I just, no, I'm kidding. It's like, it's like, here, here you go. Like, wait, 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 let me know how I got here where Steve's asking me hot takes. No, um, I, I've been canceled folks. Yeah, pfft, whatever. No wrath of Khan still my favorite. I know that's the easy answer, but it's lean and mean also like the mm. same writer and director. Right. Um, I've not revisited. Like I, you, you can't convince me that search for Spock is a good movie. Cause it's kind of not like, we'll if we ever want to talk about that, that movie is, it's a mess. There's some fun to be had there, but that movie's a mess. Um, I've not revisited the voyage home in quite a while. And um, the final frontier just feels radioactive to me. So I've not seen that in a while. I know it's, a, it's supposed to be a load of shit. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little slightly. Actually, let me, let me back this up. There was a deal where uh, Shatner and um, Nimoy had, had some creative control over the series and that if one got to Billy do one, the other one got the other half of that. Meaning Nimoy directed the voyage home. So Shatner got to direct the final frontier whatever. And then with this one with, um, Nicholas, um, Oh, what's his name? I just, we just talked Meyer. Yeah. Um, Nimoy was like, you should come direct this. And he's like, because he didn't want Shatner sniffing around and being like, no, 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 no. you, you can't direct another one. <laughs> so Nimoy at least had like his finger on the pulse of like, you can't please just stop directing films. Um, but it's, it's going to be wrath of Khan, Undiscovered Country and probably the motion picture for my three of these, like in terms of order. Okay. The the reason that I, I, I brought it up is because is I, as I was watching it and it's not to the detriment of the film, but I, I would have placed this movie higher and then I started thinking about it and uh, I don't know that it ranks as high as I initially thought. Um, I will fight you on star Trek three. If you ever want to talk about it. Okay. I think that star Trek three is a far better movie than, cause I hear complaints about it all the time. And I'm like, I don't understand what people don't like about this movie. I'm not saying that it's wrath of Khan. And I think that maybe it has, it suffers the misfortune of being the follow-up to wrath of Khan. Fair enough. But I, I quite like, uh, search for Spock. I think Christopher Lloyd is great. I think people like just come at him and they're like, Oh, it's Jim from taxi being a Klingon. I actually really like him in that role. I, I like um, a Robin Curtis who plays Savick. Uh, she takes over the role from Christie Alley in, in um, Wrath of Khan. In, from Wrath of Khan, and we can actually talk about the fact that like Savick doesn't make the appearance here, which I think they initially wanted the character to be Savick in uh, Undiscovered uh, Country instead of Valerius. But for me, I I, I really like three. I think. Um, when I look back on it, four, four is just fun movie. It's, it's the one Star Trek movie where it's like, we, we kind of let things go in the sense of like, Oh, it's not, it's not worried about being a Star Trek movie in a lot of senses. It's the fun one. It's the one that people who don't like Star Trek like. Um, and I saw that movie in the theater and it's still, there are things in that movie that still make me laugh. Uh, you know, (laughs) the guy telling, Kirk to get out of the road in the cab who's like, you know, he's just like, move out of the way, you dumbass. And then Kirk being like not knowing now how to swear is like, 
well, double dumbass on you, like stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's like laugh. there's the bit where Spock was like, "No, you like you shut like you shut the hell up." <laughs> yeah. he's trying. No, like, and if it makes you feel better about what we're about to talk about, Nicholas Meyer wrote the middle of that film while somebody yeah. handled the first and third of that. So that broke a lot of conventions. I'm not saying the Voyage Home isn't a lot of fun because it is. It's just this one of the six feels the most Star Trek to me. If that makes sense, because like there's no big like, I mean Kirk Kirk is challenged in this, and I think purposely so. But everybody's given a moment, and it feels more of like an ensemble, and it feels like more of a complete Star Trek story as opposed to, I don't know, like it just a lot of it just kind of fits where we're going with that. And, and so that that's kind of what I was saying is is that like. It's not because I think this movie is worse than any of the other movies, but I realized that, like, okay, so two is probably my favorite. It, no, no, I shouldn't say probably. It is my favorite. Rathacon's amazing. Like, that's just. Ra- yeah, Rathacon is easily one of the best, not only Star Trek movies, but one of the best sequels ever made, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just lean and mean. Like, it. Yeah, just, I don't know. It's it, And also. I'm cutting you off. I apologize. By the way, everybody take a drink. That's what happens. Nicholas Meyer also introduced the notion of making everything more naval, not belly button, but like, you know, under the sea. Um, And I think to the benefit, because in that movie you have, you, you introduce the notion of 3d, like, like three dimensions of fighting where you see like the ships going through that nebula and trying to find each other. This one also has a submarine type of feeling to it as well. And the outfits reflect that. I think that's something that, like Star Trek kind of grabbed going forward of making it more of an, like, and like there's this, there's this military naval feel to it that I dig. I, I agree. And actually I think that that's one of the mistakes that uh, the motion picture makes in the sense of, I, and I, I bring up motion picture because only, I, I think it might be my second favorite of the original six only because it's a mess. It's a hot mess. But everybody is bringing their A game. Uh, everybody is working so hard to get the story down. Um, and it, it's so sterile in a lot of ways. It's it's complete opposite of like the look that we get from Star Wars in 77. Like everything looks beautiful and clean and sterile. Like it looks like you could do an operation in the bridge. Um but the characters are all really like it's our first time with them after, you know, the 11 years since the series ended or whatever it's been. Um, and everybody's trying to make the best movie that they can. It just turns out that it's, it's not nearly as interesting as, as what they could have done. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a explorative movie. It's a, uh, I, I wanted to say metaphysical, but that's not the correct word. It's a, um, philosophical maybe is a better word yeah. uh, about uh, what life is and uh, artificial intelligence and uh, who we are as people. And, and that whole movie, Kirk is kind of in the wrong um, from the beginning of the movie where he's like, I'm taking over because I miss being a captain. Um, I think that, uh, you know, two makes the smart decision like, well, he's no longer our captain, but he's the only one on the ship who can assume authority. So yeah, we'll make him, you know, Admiral Kirk will make him take care, you know, take over because they're the only one in the area. And they're, you know, he even has a conversation with Spock about it in two where he's like, you know, you you should be the one handling this. And he's like, 
I don't have any ego for you to placate. So my understanding is, is that you're the best one here qualified for it. Let's just get this taken care of. And I, I think that's a very smart decision. And I promise this stuff's all going to play into six people. But <laughs> I really like motion picture. Um, I think that it creates the Shatner, who, the, the Shatner, the Kirk, who is very flawed, whereas two turns that into, yes, he's flawed, but he's also got a lot of things that he's doing that are outweigh those flaws um and the two work in tandem um and then again a three and four uh are both movies that i i really love four is always gonna have a soft spot because it's the first one i got to see in the theater mm-hmm. uh three i just think is a better movie than people give it credit for and if i'm watching two i instantly want to watch three afterwards once i get to the end of, of two i'm like i gotta i gotta put on three um and then you know, and then there's this, which is just as good. But I'm saying that, like, I probably would have put this in my second spot originally before watching it. And this is, again, not because I'm like, oh, I didn't have as good a time watching it or I don't think it's as good. But when I started really thinking about it, I realized I like this one, but I kind of like the other ones more. And I don't know if it's because this is the swan song. The only one that I put behind it, obviously, is five five is the one that is the most problematic uh i haven't watched it in a few years i think i tried to watch it again within the last five years and it just it does not hang well i I, it doesn't hang together as a story it doesn't work well as like you know shatner has said like there are things that were cut out that would have made things better the only thing that's interesting going on in five is the idea that Spock would have a, a not stepbrother, a half brother, and Bones's 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 is that right? Mm-hmm. Bones, uh, he has a, a scene in which uh, Cybok taps into like uh, his pain, and he finds out that uh, Bones' father had a terminal disease that Bones decided to pull the plug on because of what he knew, uh, and then a cure was found like right after he did it. Um, and it's a it's a great scene for DeForest Kelly, but that's about all that's going out of that movie, unfortunately. But getting to six, six, I do think I don't know that you could write a better send off. And it's unfortunate that we're left with generations as like the saying goodbye to Kirk because it's so anticlimactic the way he goes out in that movie uh, compared to this. You want to be left with him sitting on the bridge with the rest of the crew and going off on one last adventure before they leave or before they retire. Well, yeah, because like, so the notion of, uh, age and like the creeping shadow was introduced in, um, wrath of Khan, right. About like, mm-hmm. are we are like, are we past this? And then you end up getting like, what, five more movies, like after the motion picture that they're being older and it's like, are we, are we equipped for this? And then this one, we find out that like the bulk of the crew are three months out from like finishing. So like, there, like there's always this, like, like this, like this um, notion of like, when is enough enough? Like, and I love that that happened, but then, <laughs> uh, well, if you go yeah. back to, to wrath of Khan, there's a great scene between uh, Kirk and bones on his birthday where, yeah you know, bones basically diagnoses him and he's like, you know what? Like you don't want to be doing this. You want to be out there jumping around the galaxy. Well, cause and Kirk like, got reading wait. glasses, right? That was the big thing. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I got to get my cheaters on. 
said Steve yeah. right now before the episode. <laughs> yes, people, before we started recording today, there were two Steve, separate occasions you where lost I, your I lost my cheaters. Where, where were they at? And they were on top of my head. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm sorry no, about trying to bring inside jokes in, but it's like, you're just like, ah, you know what, Kirk, I can relate to him. Why, Steve? Why? <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's that great scene in two where, you know, Bones is like, tell them that you don't want to be, you know, working from a desk, that you want to be out there on a ship. That's where your best destiny is. That's where you should be, which is actually, I think, what Spock says to him later. Yes, you you are correct. It, it is sort of that thing of, like, Rocky trying to retire in Rocky 3. Yeah. <laughs> Not getting to actually retire. Um, but, yeah, they are playing up that idea of being older, but even by that standard, by, you know, 82, which is Wrath of Khan, it's only 15 years later. Like, this is, you know, 25 years later, so you're adding 10 years onto it. So I can I can certainly see them trying to be look at it from a point of, like, we're now entering towards retirement and standing down. Well, to be fair, like, the, Paramount also had this idea of doing a Phase 2 Star Trek, so... There were some ideas of bringing it back to television with different crew. So I'm sure that fed into some of the movies. However, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, Kirk, are you tool for this? That's 82. What if we added nine years and see what happens, right? But I do like that because um, the way that the, the whole story is presented, it was like, oh, well, this starts off with like this like um, like uh, ecological disaster with a moon. It was it was a Polaris. Um, around Kronos that um, the Klingon Empire um, like you know like they had a big big bad thing that that screwed up the atmosphere of Kronos uh, the Klingons now have 50 years left before their planet is un, uh, uninhabitable and so the big big bad of the Star Trek universe um, now needs help and Kirk has always been on the front lines fighting the good fight he has his prejudices which you know Star Trek 3 we find out that his son that he didn't know he had until uh, Wrath of Khan. Um, but it was a Khan. No, it was three, right? Three showed up. His son showed up, right? I think it was three. Well, his son shows up in two. His son is killed by a Klingon. Uh, oddly enough, Kroge, who is uh, um, Christopher Lloyd's character, he's killed uh, on the Genesis planet. That's fair. Yeah, that's right. And so Kirk has a reason to distrust Klingons, rightfully so, right? In terms of his character, I can agree with that. So then when he's put on this... Uh, diplomacy mission to go and greet the ambassador um, who was played by David Warner to bring them in to have this big discussion. There's a big sea change happening in the Federation and Star Trek in general, because Klingons have always been the big bad and now they need help because if they keep up their fight, they don't have the resources because they're dying. Like they don't have a home world. That's that. Um, this, I think this is also a crossroads for Star Trek, right? Like, um, this is a big, big, a big difference. Right. And then also knowing that the next generation was being filmed at the same time and you had, um, Michael Dorn as Worf. So, you know, the Klingons are going to get folded in or at least some of them into a uh, Starfleet. Um, I think this is like, you talk about a swan song. It's like, what you're going to do is take the entire like game and flip it upside down. And now you've always been this like big ambassadors for peace now you have this biggest opportunity for like a lot of peace, but you, but you have, um, and then Chang, um, 
who was played by um, I, God damn it. Christopher Plummer of Christopher Knives Plummer, Out. Yes. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but Knives Out. Of was Knives Out. Yeah, no. <laughs> if you've not seen Up, like anyway, um, Christopher Plummer, where he was like, oh, I get to meet like one cold warrior to the next. Like the whole thing is like he even says to, I think he says to Kirk, he's like, no, was it him? So there's a line in the movie of like, this is going to be the hardest for our generation to live with. Right. Like there's something well, said think- along the lines. I think Gorkon says that, yes. but, it, yeah. but later it's when they're in battle where, and spoilers, uh, you know, Chang says to him, come on, Kirk, admit it. You'd prefer it this way. Yeah. Which I think is even more um, telling about where these characters are supposed to be. Cause you know, Chang is the character who doesn't, doesn't make the leap of faith that um, Kirk does. And actually there's a, you know, a scene early in the film when they get their orders. Uh, and I, I've heard Shatner talk about this, where he says that like, he wished he would have been able to do it more with like regret when he says it, but Shatner, you know, is being told or Kirk is being told by, you know, Leonard Nimoy Spock, you know, why they're specifically suited for this mission. And he says to him, you know, uh, you know, they're dying, Jim. And Jim just and Kirk says, let them die. Mm-hmm. And there's no remorse to it. There's no it's complete vitriol. It's it's anger over the death of his son. It's anger at this built this not villain, this, you know, uh, alien race that they've been battling for 25 years as, uh, of a series going on. Like, I I don't know that I can think of at least within this time period, now you can easily point to the Borg, you can point to Q, you can point to Cardassians, you can point to a lot of different uh, alien races, Romulans, whatever. Maybe Romulans are just as big in the original series as the Klingons, but it's clear that at this point, Klingons are the biggest Mm -hmm. villain of the Star Trek universe. Which, I mean, supposedly the story goes that um, Nimoy approached... um, uh, the director, uh, Meyer, and was like, hey, um, what if the wall fell? Meaning that the Klingons have always been a stand-in for the Russians. Like, what if what if the wall fell and we got to deal with, like, the war is over? And I guess that sparked, like, which is a cool idea because, like, this is just as much of a response to all of that as Rocky Four is, like, and not the best way. I love Rocky Four, but that is, like, American on testosterone, like, pumped. This is more like a realistic situation of, like, War is over. People are hurting. What do we do? And we got to kind of put our guns down. But some people can't let the battle go because it's all they've known. Like, there's a lot of big questions in this movie. And um, it was big then. And I, not to not to drag into the, the, the real world right now, but, um, you know, we're witnessing uh, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that's collapsing. Like, how could we, how could we not watch this without thinking about that? You know what I mean? Like it's just, this is, this is why I dig sci-fi and Star Trek because they can, they can show this stuff and you can have debate. Um, and it can kind of have, like, you can like consider this stuff, but it's like, my God, like as much again, just much like when I told Chris Claremont and Tom, um, his last name, Steve, give it to me again, please. Or Zikowski. There you go. When I told them that God loves man kills gets louder as we go along. Star Trek six gets louder as we go along. I don't think that was the intent, but it kind of is. And I don't think I'm wrong with this. I don't know how you feel about this. I, I've mentioned this before, 
one, um, when I see uh, fans of fantasy and science fiction, whether it be them gatekeeping or telling people who, you know, what they should like and and why they're wrong if they like certain things or uh, worse that their their gender slash uh, racial identity slash whatever uh, sexuality precludes them from having like the same input as they should have. I'm always like, did we read the same comics growing up? Did we watch the same <laughs> right. things? Because, you know, the thing that's always appealed to me about Star Trek is, is that uh, it's this idea that at one point humanity, or, and when I say humanity, I'm talking about Earth in general, because there's, you know, obviously different <clears throat> galaxies and, and planets and all those types of things going on in Star Trek. But Earth as a general, or in general, it gets to a point where they're like, we need to do something else. Uh, this is not working. And they're able to move beyond the concept of money. They're be able, able to move beyond the concept of, you know, bettering just themselves. They're, they're working to better themselves as a people. Um, and I've always liked that notion. Um, it's a very strong ideal that's pushed in uh, first contact, which if we're including uh, the other movies in the series, that's probably my number two. Oh, I, I love, love First I Contact. I love First Contact. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yep. I mean, but I, I, yeah, go I, ahead, I've always loved that ideal of like, hey, we reached a point where we realized we can't keep going on the way we are, which is sadly supposed to be after a fictional World War Three. Um, but they well, get you, to you a mean, point you where... You mean the eugenics war, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that birth card. That would never happen. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I say that sadly as I drink. All right, continue, please. I'm going to keep drinking. But that's that's something that's always appealed to me, and I, I think that that's an interesting idea here that we're seeing somebody who's confronted very much like Picard is in First Contact, where he has a prejudice, yeah, where he has a bias. We're seeing the same thing with Kirk, you know, and it just happens to be that he's having to deal with it on the eve of Universal. Um, you know, peace talks between them, between the Federation. I keep wanting to say earth between the Federation and the claim. Well, well, we find out later spoilers that like, um, the powers that be on both sides don't want this really to go that way. Like, mm -hmm. like who is a better person to pick to make it go wrong and mess it up than Kirk. Right. Like, but I also think he's also the perfect person to do it because he's the one guy that if you are, it's like what Chang says, like, come on, you prefer it this way. But he, he's like, I would like to have met you in another way. Yeah. What he means is he would have liked to have met him on the battlefield. I, I, he's the guy that you're like, okay, it, it'll show that we're serious if he's the one who's, who's coming. It also works to their detriment, obviously, when what happens happens. Well, no, but if they're going to frame, if they're going to frame him for a sneak attack, who better with somebody that has a chip on their shoulder than Kirk is what I'm saying is like, yeah, yeah. I think cause he's decorated and he's had experience, but it's like when things turn like tits up, it's like, this is the guy that you're going to like, be like, well, of course we told you this was the guy. Like it's there, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of thought put into, um, the greater politics of this film, which, uh, that's what I want to say too. There is, um, there, there, there is some action in this. Um, we'll talk about why there is limited action in this, but I know that we get sometimes um, we get frustrated with the prequels of Star Wars because it just becomes like all these trade talks and gets bogged down in garbage. Steve, come at me. I'm, I'm not wrong. But with this, it's like there's stakes here. There's actually like 
20 plus years of story of like why this is happening. And when we find out like our enemies can't fight anymore, like, can we give them like an olive branch? Like there's more weight here than just like a trade blockade. Right. Like I, I dig the positioning. I got like, um, I know this is way past the point when they're all sitting down to dinner. Um, I got like a game of Thrones vibe of positioning, watching all of them talk, meaning like nobody wants to admit that they like that they're um, wrong, but the begrudgingly they have to meet and try to hammer out some common, like common ground. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think that, uh, What's interesting to me about that scene, too, is is that everybody's sizing each other up yes. and trying to figure out what exactly their motives are. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for pretty much everyone in that scene. And I like the fact that, you know, Gorkon knows that, you know, Kirk is probably not the best person to usher in this piece. But I, I, I keep thinking about this, and I it's unfair to keep it in mind with like the things that we get after. But if I was going to end captain Kirk's character, um, I don't know that I would do it, uh, with him fighting Roddy McDowell on a planet where a giant beam of light is had or a ripple of, you know, um, uh, of time continuum, blah, blah, blah. Science. It's not, it's, not even that. it's that ribbon candy that all the old women have in their house. <laughs> right. It, it's not exactly the most dramatic death that you can give Kirk. Yeah. Um, if you were like, he's the one who sacrificed himself to bring, you know, both the Federation and the Klingons together. And it's his last story. I think that would be far more powerful. And I, 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 Again, like I said, it's it's unfair for me to like hold problems that I have with generations against it. But I, I, I can't help but think of in terms of what they're doing storytelling wise. It's certainly the most smartly written, I guess, uh, in, in that sense, maybe since two, uh, because two is two old, you know, adversaries going against each other. And, and I'll just say this to you, folks, if you've ever watched Space Seed. And had it in the back of your brain because I saw Rathacon before I saw uh, Space Seed. I don't think I actually saw Space Seed until, I don't know, somewhere in the 90s. I was like, wow, this episode's not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> uh, you know, here, you know, you don't have that backstory with Khan, but you have somebody who's of equal measure going up against Kirk. And I think that that's a far weightier dramatic story point, not to mention the fact that the thing that is, you know, uh, the thing that is, is is dangling before all the characters is this idea of there being a truce and well, who wants it and who doesn't. Yeah, but also let me let me let me pull that back a little bit. So we end up getting Bones and um and Kirk on you know on the ice planet, whatever. Like, which is the, that that felt the most Star Wars to me in like a fun way, right? Like in the sense of like you got like this like I love that like Star Trek leaned into like we could have a place that's just one biome, right? Anyway. Fight me, Steve. But like they end up on Hoth and they end up in the dilithium mines on Hoth. 
I love I love that because like they 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 have their universal translators taken away from them, and it's like I love that there's that one cut where it's like someone says I think Kirk is working on a way to escape right now and he's getting the shit beat out of him. There's a wonderful cut there, and credit to the movie and credit to Shatner who I know is a bit of a diva that he allowed some of the comedy to happen the way it was. I thought that was a lot of fun, but also you got the crew of the Enterprise like kind of lying to the Federation of like, Oh, we can't come back because they know that there's assassins amongst their midst. And I love, I love, 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 love that we get a Star Trek solution to what's going on and not like an action movie solution with them, like being methodical and having a theorem and how they're trying to prove it. Like, that is uniquely Star Trek. And I dug that whole like thought process and the investigation portion of this. So I'll say this, uh, my favorite joke in the movie, and there are some really good jokes. In yes, here. there I mean, are. Obviously, uh, Chekhov saying, guess who's coming to dinner is a great one. Um, but, uh, you know, when Iman kisses Shatner, and you just see um, Bones, Bones just laying like, there. What and he's just like whatever. shaking his head. Yeah. And he looks over at him and he's just like, what is it with you? <laughs> I love that line. I love that it's line crazy. too. And I love it whenever, uh, like later on, whenever we find out Amon's a shapeshifter and she takes his form. And he's like, I can't believe I kissed you. She's like, wasn't that your life's dream? It's like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And I guess, um, I, I guess, um, a, uh, uh, Meyer was like worried that Shatner would like dismiss that line because it's very like cocky and I guess Shatner loved it. So, cause that sequence, like when Shatner plays his double as, you know, um, was it Mar- um, Marty, Martia, yeah, Martia, that's a lot of fun. There's fun Martia. in this movie. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There's fun. There's good jokes. There's, um, oh, um, I don't know. There's the bit when Spock's like, did I make a joke? It's like, there you go. That's kind of fun. But he also is like that ancient Vulcan proverb. Only Nixon could go to China was really funny too. Like there's actually like, there's some good humor in this, but can, can we appreciate um, that this film's darker in tone? And also I was reading about like the production of this, that they made it a point to make this a little bit more claustrophobic and tighter and darker. Cause Star Trek's always like the bright, shiny future. And they wanted to make a little bit more gritty, which I think this, if we can find this barometer going forward, this is like the perfect, like Star Trek biome of like hopeful future gritty. Now that like, I, I really dug that. Like, I don't know, like this, this like was very um, aesthetically pleasing to me showing everything. I thought I, I love the cinematography here. Let's talk about Valeris real quick. Yes. Uh, you know, Valeris was invented because my understanding was is that Myers wanted Kirstie Alley to reprise her her character of Savick, even though Savick had already been played by Robin Curtis in the three and four. Um, I do think that it loses a little bit of weight with Spock, uh, you know, having somebody that he would have been mentoring, who is not only but a mentor, but was not only there for his death, but also there for his resurrection in three, um, it was Ponfar. Yes. His Ponfar, which <laughs> Problematic. I always I'm like, well, how did she cure him of that? Oh yeah. Um, the, the, but, the clink, like the, uh, was it the Vulcan neck pinch? Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 
can't help but wonder. I'm like, uh, you know, Valeris is perfectly fine here, and Kim Cattrall, I think, does a, a, a great job with it. Um, uh, but I, I do feel like maybe that's one of the few missed opportunities with this movie. You know, clearly Meyer had worked with Kirstie Alley, who at this point is on Cheers, and she's in a couple of Look Who's Talkings movies. She's on the top of the world. I'm sure they couldn't afford her. And and I don't know that I've ever heard her talk about Star Trek, so I don't know if she even has fond memories of doing it Star Trek. It certainly doesn't seem to be one of those things that she focuses on. We'll put it that way. Fair enough. Um, but again, that's speculation. I can't say for certain. Maybe she's like, I <laughs> loved playing Savick. Objection, wish as as yeah. uh, as Worf would say. Objection over and over again. Anyway, continue. Right. I I think that's one of the few pieces missing here. It's it's not like. Oh, the movie's ruined because of it. But it's one of those things that I'm like, yeah, you know, it would have been more poignant for Spock to be betrayed by Savick as opposed to Valeris. Yeah. But I, I do think that Valeris is an interesting character in that, you know, Spock is looking for a protege. I think that he's, even though uh, Vulcans live longer, because uh, clearly I don't know what the lifespan is, but. Uh, his father is around for quite some time, as is he, because his father pops up in Next Generation, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, so they they must have a longer lifespan. But the idea that he's trying to find somebody who would take up his mantle, whether it be as science officer or as be a Vulcan within Starfleet, I found that to be very interesting. And I, I really like the idea. And again, we're jumping around the movie, but there's a a scene later in the film where it comes out that she's the actual traitor on the ship. Um, and they're talking about the conversation they have at the beginning of the film and where he's kind of telling her like, you know, you, you've got to have uh, oh, it's not patience. He bestows a, a human virtue on her that well, she doesn't. One thing he understand. was like, he said, logic is the beginning of wisdom, not yes. the end is what Thank he you. says. Right. So, and, and she says to him, you know, uh, you know, I was only doing what I thought was right or something along those lines. And he's like, it's, it's clear that neither of us were listening to the other in the conversation that we had. I think that's an amazing moment. Like, yeah. uh, cause it's, it's, it's Spock not being sad, but it's, it's him coming to the realization that, you know, while he's trying to usher in this, this deal for peace with the Klingons, the, the person that he was confiding in as another Vulcan, has also gone far astray from what he thought that was as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really love that scene and I actually love, uh, it's so weird to be like, yeah, I love Leonard Nimoy as Spock. He's, he's done it a, a ton of time, but I think that he's probably got the most weight, at least outside of obviously his death scene in Wrath of Khan in this film. No, I agree. And they, they gave him the most like Spock to do, right? Like, cause obviously in like three, he's coming back and then four, he's trying to like find his, his humanity, not humanity, his uh, Spockness again. Yeah. I get it. So he's, yeah. He, yeah. He's trying to figure out who he is, what his human side is, what his Vulcan side is, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's why I keep saying like, I feel like, um, this is the one that like, um, this is the one that feels the most like inclusive of all the cast, including him and, uh, you know, Chekhov and Ahura and Scotty, like they all got their moments to play here. And that felt like this felt like a very, a very bigger episode of Star Trek, which, 
you know, I, I understand that there's a hard line to, you, you want to make something bigger, you want to make it epic, right? But like, if you're doing an ensemble movie, you got to give them all their moments. And I feel like all of them were given something to do, which is good. Um, and I don't know, like it just, it all clicks for me. Um, I, there's not really, there's not really a, um, a bad spot in this film. It's, it's a little under two hours. Like it, it moves, it, it shuffles the pieces. Um, like the one thing that Roddenberry said right before his death, cause he passed away a couple of days after watching this film, he I was, believe it was on his deathbed, but go on. Yeah, okay, right there you go. Um, I'm just kidding. No, he's like at, at hell's heart I stab at the. Uh, anyway, by the way, I love that. Like, like they make the joke about like you can't appreciate Shakespeare until it's the original Klingon, which I mean I get it, but uh, Christopher Plummer, this is the most Shakespeare we get. It's like, all right, I guess Shakespeare is universal. Whatever. That, well, okay. Yeah, two please, things about yes. that. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you no, off. No, please, 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 um, please. <laughs> one. Him spinning around in the chair and like, you know, uh, cry havoc and let, let loose, loose the dogs, dogs of war. war. Oh, it's so good. Great. Great stuff. Yes. However, why is Shakespeare trans? Why is that trans- <laughs> translated into Klingon and why are they suddenly owning it? It seemed very weird to me. I'm like, Shakespeare's a, an American or not American. <laughs> Jesus. No, a he's human a, He's a human. A human. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I think of, you know, Earth. I think of just everyone as American. No, but I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, a, uh, uh, you know, a, um, a, God, I can't, I almost said American author. He's a Earth author. Yeah. How have they co-opted that is the thing that I always remember. But I like it. It's like, well, if there's going to be any actor to um, take uh, Shakespeare and turn that into like an alien war cry, it needs to be Christopher Plummer. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I just, it was him just chewing the scenery. Like I, he is the secret weapon of this movie, right? Like you can't, un, you can't deny how much gravity he brings to this. Like it's so good. And him, oh, he's great. Yeah. And also I learned that, um, because Klingon was actually made a language a while ago before this, they had to figure out a way to figure out how to, excuse me, um, translate to be or not to be because of something with the way the sentence structure was for Klingon. Like they had to actually change the language to actually incorporate Shakespeare, which I think is great. But I love that um, Plummer, especially like, oh, to be or not to be a missile's coming. It's going to annihilate you. Like he is the perfect villain for this. And I, I loved him in this and it classed up the joint greatly. So I want to go back real quick to something that you said about this film. Uh, and I think it's something that's missing. Uh, and I, this is again, not me poo pooing the JJ Abrams Kelvin universe, but it was the biggest problem that I had with both, um, Star Trek to slash not wrath of Khan, Benedict Cumberbatch, oh, uh, into darkness, uh, into darkness. And, uh, beyond uh is it just beyond beyond i, I almost said from beyond which uh is <laughs> definitely not. They, get, they get real lumpy and fleshy yeah. there <laughs> damn it jim uh, you're a part of somebody anyway continue the problem that i that i had with both those movies was is that i felt that the strength of star trek in me is its ensemble cast and in both films i feel like they break the characters up and i know that in beyond they tried to 
to break it up a little bit and have it like uneven characters, characters who aren't typically paired together. But I'm like, no, I want to see a movie where they're all on the bridge the entire movie and they're all interacting and they're all important. Like that was my big beef with those two movies. Cause I actually love 2009. I, I think that the potential of 2009 uh, star Trek is not been, it's unfortunately not been explored in the two movies that we've gotten so far. I, I think that uh, the idea that they set it up with like, Hey, this is kind of an alternate universe because we're going back and altering history. So all those things that you love still exist, but this is an alternate reality. We're calling it the Kelvin universe. Yeah. Which I was like, okay, fine. I'm on board with that. Great. I'm curious to see what the differences are. And I loved the fact that the first movie was like, Hey, we're going to destroy Vulcan. Which is like, whoa, that's that's really big. Yeah, like, versus Romulus. Believe... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my complaint with those movies was is that we didn't get to see the cast as an ensemble past the first film yep. as much as we should have. Um, and here, if you're a fan of Star Trek and you're a fan, I mean, obviously Kirk and Bones are off on their side mission. Well, it's not even a mission. Uh, they're they're off uh, being prisoners for you know a third of the movie sure that's fine but everyone with the exception of of sulu which i've heard from or i shouldn't say heard from because i make it sound like i'm some sort of internet no, reporter Decay and got, shatner did I've not got, get along at all yeah. so but they also at least gave him some agency by the way let me just also say that it's kind of bullshit in the beginning of the movie that we find out that the Excelsior was doing like all this, like uh, charting of gas giants or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the resolution of this hidden bird of prey that could also be cloaked and firing from whatever position that the enterprise is the one to fire a torpedo that could trail the gas exhausts, whatever, like Uhura's is like, it has to have a tailpipe. I, but Brief side, aside from the side, I love that Star Trek always finds like a thing to make us understand like what's going on. And I guess um, Shatner was upset that um, that the Enterprise wouldn't be the one to save the day. So they changed it where it was earlier said in the movie that the Excelsior specifically had gear to track gas emissions. That that's such a weird thing to have. Uh, as your point of contention, because You're they die still on, save right? the day. They, yeah. He, yeah. he he jumps down, or they beam down on the planet. He saves uh, the president of the Federation. He he saves Clarence Boddicker. Uh Scotty stops the assassin. Uh, there are things that are going on that don't necessarily mean, mean that the Enterprise has to be the one to save the day. It would have been, you could have just had it be that Excelsior figures it out and then Enterprise is the one who destroys them, fine. Yeah. But I don't understand why them having the gear for uh, or them having the ability to figure out uh, how to use the equipment on board to defeat them couldn't have been an Excelsior feature. Right, that, because you would think bad. Sulu would be on his feet be like, oh, we've been able, we've been scanning gas giants for like forever and every ship has an emission trail, right? And he could have told Kirk, like, hey, we can do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just, however, they still gave um, Sulu agency. And I also love the bit when, um, uh, you know, Christian Slater's like, oh, what, what's going on? He's like, I don't know where. He's like, 
I don't know what the Enterprise is. Like they at least gave him enough, and then when he they at least they gave him the Chewbacca moment at the end, right? <laughs> Whenever they stop the assassination, where like the three of them are up there and Sulu didn't get a medal. Nobody got a medal, but like at least they gave him something to do, and they gave they made him part of the story, meaning like they brought everybody in and I, I like that too. Also like the Sulu was the same rank as Kirk. And I know that they weren't like, they were in the same scene for like five seconds, but at least they gave Sulu some agency because he's an important part of the movie. He's the one to discover the, the um, crisis on um, uh, was Praxis. Uh, Praxis, right? Like the death star that blew up or whatever it was like, like they gave everybody something to do. I'm not saying that it was completely successful, but at least they did. And for a send off for the original uh, cast, like they all got their moments. They all got their quips. Like um, this felt like a, a um, overly large episode of Star Trek, which that's not a bad thing. And then learning about how, because the final frontier Star Trek five bombed because of, cause it's a shit movie they really tighten down the budget and I'm going to put this to you. Um, did you feel like this was a cheaper movie? Cause I felt like every cent was spent on this movie. Like it was on the screen. Like you couldn't like it. I didn't, I didn't consider this a lower budget film watching it. I would not have guessed this was a lower budget film than, uh, than five. I, I'll, I'll say that. Yes, there are things that I noticed. Like obviously, We've seen the cloaked birds of prey coming and going out of being cloaked in uh, other movies. Uh, I, I felt like, yes, that was recycled. I feel like there may have been a couple of Enterprise shots that were recycled. But I, I didn't feel like this was a cheaper movie. There's nothing here that makes me think like they spent less than they did on five. Uh, five. And again, there's some interesting ideas happening in five. I think, you know, the idea of there being uh, this idea that God needs a, a starship is an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. I think uh, one of the funny things that they did in that movie was, is that it was a new enterprise. So there are all these scenes of like Scotty, like trying to deal with all the problems that are arising. <laughs> that stuff's yeah. interesting. Um, but it doesn't look nearly as good as this does. And maybe that's, uh, you know, attributed to not only Nicholas Myers, but probably his cinematographer and the people who really laid out this film going into it. I don't think, and you brought up, you brought it up with Shatner earlier, uh, his deal where it's like, well, Leonard got to direct one. I mean, Leonard directed two, three yes. did better than they thought it was going to. And then they're like, do you want to do four too? And I think they also, even though he said that he's never requested that Spock die or be brought back or that it was a condition, there's certainly a thing where they're like, we got to keep Nimoy happy, probably happier than they need to with Shatner. But yeah. it probably came around with five where they're like, well, Shatner wants to direct, which is, you know, I, for whatever you could say about Nimoy as a director, he did have other movies that went on to yep. go on and be hits. I mean, three minutes, so, a baby and three minutes, yeah. a little lady, right? Like he's actually directed non Star Trek stuff. So, um, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, I could be wrong. Even though I was just singing the praises of T.J. Hooker like a month ago, <laughs> I feel like Shatner is only other directed uh, some episodes of that. I think at that point. What about so, Tech War? Like some of. The <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever? I never even gave Tech War 
uh, a passing thought. Like I was just like, oh, this just it it sounds like uh, it's ripping off Star Trek, even though it's written by Shatner and it's supposed to be something well, else. Well, it, it, it's um, it's him and another guy named uh, Goulart uh, that did the Tech War series. So in terms of ghostwriting. And so, oh, brief, brief aside, I just, please, I know we're going two hours, so I apologize. Uh, the, the, um, I, that, that 372 Pages podcast that I listened to, 372 Pages, we'll never get back. They covered the first Tech War book, which was uh, Shatler, Shatler, sorry, William, William Shatner and uh, Goulart. They call it um, Shatlart. That's what they kept referring it to. Um, you make, it makes you wonder how much was Shatner writing the series versus this other guy. And it's, it's a lot of fun to listen to Mike Nelson of Mr. Science Theater 3000 kind of a riff on it. I, it, it, it's, it's like Blade Runner meets Star Trek, but also really shitty. So I'll just say that, but there's the tech war series, the TV series where Shatter shows up as well, directing episodes, whatever. I mean, I can't blame somebody wanting to do something else, right? Like, so I'm not going to fault Shatner for having an idea. Anyway, that's neither nor there. So, but well, the yeah. thing that I was going to say about Shatner is, is that I feel like when Shatner's given, and I don't mean this to to come off the way it is, but when Shatner is given uh, good writing and 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 good direction, I think he's um, available. Or available. He's a, he's able to do amazing things. Give him uh, guardrails, right? Because you've you know, got guard, sorry guardrails, right? I'm going to throw this out to you. Um, there's the two episodes of the Twilight Zone original series, Nick of Time and Terror at 20,000 Feet. Like, give him give him some like some limitations, and you're going to get a good response out of him. Yeah, and, and you know, my wife, like I'd mentioned before, you know, like her, her big thing is Boston Legal, where it's like, yeah, Shatner, they, they let him ham it up on that show. But there's also really good writing there. There's also somebody pulling him back and being like, okay, you can be crazy with this line, but here you need to step it up. Um, and that, again, it's it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and say, like, that's how it was on Boston Legal. But I, you know, I told you that, like, my wife is like, oh, he's bad in Star Trek. I'm like, no. I'm like, you're seeing Shatner in the 2000s to 2010s. Yeah. Versus Shatner in like 1982. I'm like, you have to, you know, really think about who he is as an actor. And I, I do think that he is a stage actor who just never adapted to filmmaking in the sense of like, unless somebody's telling him specifically how to handle things, he just always wants to go big. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not an acting coach. I'm not a director, but that's the sense that I get from his performances. I think, I think Shatner when directed well, can pull off an amazing performance. I actually still think he's fantastic in most of the Star Trek movies. We'll put it that way. No, he's good at um, this too. They, they actually give him some like depth to explore. I dig it. So, but I, I think yeah. you'd mentioned, you referred to this as like a longer Star Trek episode. I don't think of that, this episode, this film as that, like for instance, I think of Star Trek insurrection as being a long Star Trek episode and not a very good one. That's fair. No, uh, like, where I'm like, wow, yeah. they, they've already done this idea, I believe, in other episodes, and it's not as interesting here. And it's just, it, it felt like, that movie felt like a not very good episode of Star Trek. That, no, that's which, fair. Come you know, even, even with Star Trek, you know, you can say that it's like pizza and like, ah, it's, it's not very good, but it's still Star Trek. That's how I felt about Insurrection, which 
I've tried to watch a couple times where I'm like, ah, it's easily the weakest of the, <laughs> the uh, next generation cast. Which, uh, I mean, at so. some point, maybe maybe we should um, not forget the sequel, just in general. Maybe we should revisit that. Or um, uh, Nemesis. Like, because I feel like I saw Nemesis in the theater and I was pissed off. Maybe maybe it's better now. Nemesis know. is a movie that wants so hard to be Rathacon. It just never Oh, no, you're right. It, it, it kept, it's like, hey, can I wear the coat? And you're like, you can wear the coat. It's like, it doesn't fit right. Well, this, you asked for the coat. All right, so. <laughs> um, all right, real quick. Let me let me run through, um, like, um, like budget and not, like, the most successful Star Trek the films, right? Like, I know I talked about this being the end of this franchise, meaning the original series. I agree this is a wonderful song, a swan song for this, right? So, um, I found this website called the numbers, like bear with me. Um, let me roll through, um, successful films. Are you good with mm-hmm. this? One second. Yeah. Um, Star Trek beyond a budget was one hundred eighty five million. Uh, overall box office, 335 million. And it's adjusted for inflation into darkness budget. One ninety worldwide box office four sixty seven. So better than the, that third film, uh, Star Trek, the new one, 140 box office, 386. So of the three of the Abrams produced ones, the first one was the best. So when we get into the next couple are Nemesis production budget, 60 million, uh, box office worldwide, 67, not great. Insurrection, 70 million, box office, 117. I love Insurrection. Um, not sorry, Insurrection. Sorry, that's the one with the, the one we just talked about with, um, the yeah, I was like, people. wait, did I just oh, shit on no, the no, movie no, no, that you no, love? No, no. no, First Contact. First Contact's the one I love. First Contact's great. Star Trek First Contact, 46 million, 150 million. Generations. That's funny that, like, because everything kind of falls with, like, budgets, right? Generations, 38 million, box office, 120 million. Uh, here we go. Here, let's get into the original series, right? Here, here's how it goes. Um, Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country, budget, 27 million. 96 million worldwide, it made its money back and then some. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, 30 million, um, worldwide 70, so it did better, but not by much. Um, Star Trek IV, The Voyage for Home, for Home, Voyage Home, 24 million, 133 million, so that was uh, a big deal. Uh, three, Search for Spock, 18 million versus 87. Uh, Wrath of Khan, twelve million and uh, versus ninety-five, and then the motion picture, uh, thirty-five million versus one hundred thirty-nine million in box office, and that's considered a failure. I don't know, but I think the Undiscovered Country, as much as we always talk about like the odd number ones being kind of the weird ones, I think it redeemed the cast, Star Trek as a franchise, and it ended the original cast on a good note. This movie's a lot of fun and it has a lot of things to think about. And I don't know, like I dig it. And also I love the evolution of the Klingons and also um, we didn't even talk about the ship designs because there's a lot of repurposed stuff here because it was cheaper. Um, I, I will, I will never not love the birds of prey um, design for a ship. It's so cool looking. I agree. And actually the Excelsior, which is Sulu's ship in this, uh, is introduced in three. It's supposed to be the ship that's supposed to be replacing the Enterprise as like the new hotness, if you will, uh, in the Federation. 
and uh, you know, as Kirk and crew are making their escape in a beaten up Enterprise to try and you know reunite um, Spock's Katra with his body, they have the uh, ship sabotaged by Scotty, who's supposed to be the main engineer on the Excelsior. And it was supposed to have transwarp drive, and it was supposed to be this new thing. Um, and then in four, at the very end, uh, you know, because they destroy the Enterprise in three, they talk about, you know, like what ship are they going to get? And I think we see the the Excelsior in the shot that's supposed to fake out like what ship they're going to get as they've, you know, given Kirk his status for saving, you know, everyone once again. Uh, by going back in time, uh, his own uh, ship and to be a captain. And I think even, I, I can't remember if it's checkup. Somebody says, oh, I hope we get the Excelsior. And Scotty's like, I, I don't want that ship and blah, blah, blah. And then we're revealed the new Enterprise, which just looks like the old Enterprise, but it's nice and clean and beautiful. Um, and I, I don't remember if it pops up in five, but Excelsior is is not only been a, a part of the series from part three, but it's also uh, a model that they already have access to. <laughs> it's one that there's like, a lot of that where they kept repurposing things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the design of the Excelsior. I love, I still love regular one from, from Star Trek two. I, I think that there's so many cool designs in this original series. And I remember when next generation started, hating the enterprise uh was it is enterprise d at that point when we start next generation i think but, so yeah but the the <laughs> enterprise that they build for first contact is like between the next generation enterprise and the excelsior like if you look at those two designs i feel like there's there's something that where they're like let's push these two together um <laughs> and I, I really like that as well i i I think there's so much good design work on here. And I mentioned the fact that I'm like, oh, yeah, we've seen that, you know, cloaking or decloaking Birds of Prey before. Clearly, that's a shot that they can already just slot into the movie because they don't have the budget. It's still a great shot. That Birds yeah. of Prey, uh, which is, I think, probably features the most in, in four in the sense of like, because they're no, leaving. That model, that model, they actually applied yeah. like uh, rubber cement to like, um, to mimic like searing of the sun because it flew around the sun to go back in time. And they're like, yeah. Oh, it's rubber cement. We could scrape it off. It got baked into the model. Ooh. Like, yeah, they, there was a lot of repurposing. I, I, I did a deep dive on a lot of the lore here, but yeah, like I love, I, I'm sure it's a Ralph McQuarrie design. Like, um, cause that is not dissimilar to the discovery, um, to the, um, enterprise discovery ship. Like there's a lot of weird angles and fins, right? So, I I love the birds of prey. I think they're. Cool I guess I should also just say really quick that uh, as being the one on the show who's known as the Star Wars guy, if you will, like I'm just excited to talk about Star Trek because it's the one thing that I always would hear from people. It's like, oh, Star Wars people are cooler than Star Trek. And I'm like, yeah, if you're making that distinction, you're not cool at all. No, but, um. You know, just because you like one doesn't mean that you can't like the other. I've never yes. understood that. You know, it's it would be the equivalent of being like, well, I don't like peach cobbler because I like chocolate. Okay, but you can like both. You know that, right? No, like, I don't like peach as cobbler much as I like hate it. the word fandom. I, I just I think that it, <sighs> I don't like it. But I mentioned earlier, but 
you love what you love and your heart can always grow bigger for things that you love. Like it, like that's the cool thing about all that we do with this show and, and everything. You could all like your enjoyment can always grow, right? Like, like the screw anybody else that tells you that you can't like something, right? Like, right. Like just, I understand that I have things I don't like and I will shit on it because I have my reasons. If you love it, you love it. And then you can be like, Paul, like, I don't like where you're coming from. You're wrong. You can love what you love. Like, please, please, please. It can be star, star Trek, star Wars, Stargate, Battlestar, other star war, star words, like love what you love. And I think uh, I'm burping uh, again. Um, you can always burps. fit. There's your heart can keep growing, right? If you like it, you like it. Well, I just also like, you know, I just never understood that mentality of you. You have to like one or the other. You you no, you can like both uh, yeah. and both have their their pluses and, and minuses, you know. Um, and admittedly, I can't speak to uh, the current state of Star Trek because I haven't watched uh, Discovery. I haven't watched. Uh, what's the other one that is currently Lower running? Decks. That's I'm sorry. The the animated Lower Decks, which I've no, there's, back in. there's animated Lower Decks, but there's isn't there a third show that's just about mm, no there uh, was the, Spock there was and, no there was the short treks that were like the short ones, and then the other one that's coming with the Spock and Number One, and that's not actually been released yet. Oh, I'm is not, it not? I've not seen okay. Discovery season three. Um, but I did sub back in for lower decks because it grew on me and that season two is coming out now. Um, the first episode was a little uneven. Like I know you and I talked about that previously in an episode. Um, it's grown on me because it feels like <laughs> it feels like the only thing we're really going to get post next generation that's in line with next generation. Um, that is not as far out as Picard, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know, like yeah, lower decks I, is a lot like of fun. I, it, it's, it, it's like a couple years past next generation where I don't know, like you get, you should give it a little bit more of a chance. It's, it's every, every animated series takes a little, every, well, every series takes a little while to find its footing. Um, it's won me over. I'll say that. The point that I'm making is, is that I'm not, not watching discovery because I'm like, well, the Mandalorian exists. Like, I'm not choosing <laughs> well, no. one over the other. If you had to choose making. one, the Mandalorian. <laughs> but Discovery has its moments. And again, Doug Jones, who plays Saru, who's amazing in that, um, it has its moments. But anyway, continue, well, it, it's just one of those things of, of like, I have to pick and choose the things that I devote my time to. And. You know, unfortunately, I can walk into Picard and be like, I know this character, so it's easier for me to adjust to whatever this first season is going to be. And I'm, I'm, I, I've mentioned this before. Uh, I love Q, and knowing he pops up, I don't even care how long he's in season two of Picard, but that's got me watching Picard. Amen. I, Amen. I, yes. For me, that's the thing that I just scratch my head over with the the with the the series of films where you know technically it's generations through nemesis where it's like your best villain and i know that you're gonna have people who are gonna say the borg or whatever but like if you're gonna give me the final film in the sense that undiscovered country is like we're gonna give you the biggest villain and we're gonna put them in a place that's uncomfortable 
you know, with Kirk and the Klingon Empire. Like how how Q does not play into whatever Nemesis should have been just boggles my mind or in any of the films. So the idea that we get Q coming back in the in Picard just puts a big old smile on my face. I still think that he's the bee's knees. And uh, again, I I don't want to go on too long here uh, because we already have, unfortunately, but (laughs) You know, I, I, I just unfortunately, also, you know, unfortunately, we've talked for a while as you and I as friends. Unfortunately, well, we've hung out for a minute. <laughs> I try not to digress. I try not to go on tangents. But I, just, you know, I just wanted to say do, that, do you, you know, know the show? I, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm please. excited to talk about Star Trek because it does feel like the thing that we never get to talk about just simply because of you know, uh, the fact that I'm the star Wars guy or I'm the horror guy or the comic book guy. Like I, I, (laughs) and I never want people to, to have this distinction of like, Oh, I can't enjoy that because I like this. No, you know, you can like Slayer and like the Beatles. You can like, you know, uh, (laughs) breakfast at Tiffany's and, uh, the breakfast club. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. Or breakfast club. Like there are things like nothing should preclude you from thinking that you can't enjoy something simply because you enjoy something else. I I would love unless it's Stargate. Then no, you can't. No, I would love to challenge you to watch the original four hour miniseries of Battlestar Galactica. Not original. I mean, the rebooted one. I would love to talk about that. I would love, 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 love. Because Ronald Ronald G. Moore wrote a lot of uh, Ronald G. Moore, whatever his middle initial is. He wrote a lot of Next Generation, right? I would love to talk to you about some other Battlestar stuff, but that's neither here nor there. Undiscovered Country, um, successful sequel, ties a bow and everything, and it also keeps the world open, right? Because as this was being made, the next generation was being shot, and we already like we already knew the Klingons were part. Sorry, they some of them can be accepted a part of the Federation, so we knew, we knew there was a story there. Um, I think this 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 um, threads a lot of needles, and it pays off a lot, and it's a wonderful film. It's a lot of fun. There's good action. Um, there's good comedy. There's good drama. Um, six films in, um, you could do way worse, and I'm glad that we revisit, revisited this because my favorite's Wrath of Khan. But however, this is a really good movie. Like and. If you guys have a, like a passing interest in Star Trek, revisit this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I think the point that I was trying to make earlier with like where do you place this, you know, and the fact that I was like, oh, I don't know that I, you know, I, I would have put this at, 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 you know, the second spot after two. The thing that I come across with is, is that I'm like, you know what, as a series, there's really just one that I don't like. Name another series where you're like, oh, there's six movies and like I like five of them and one of them I don't dig. Like, I can't even say that about Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I can't say that. And that's that's a tough feat. Uh, You know, if you're if you're doing a marathon, I would I would highly encourage you to to sit through one and just take it in for the performances and. Uh, what they were trying to do with that story, the philosophical take that they're trying to present to Star Trek at that time, as far as like being this thing that they're marketing to kids who just saw Star Wars two years earlier. And they're like, hey, we're going to show you why we're different. I I can't dispute that. Uh, Two, obviously, Masterpiece. 
Three, I really love. Four, really love. Five, you can leave out. Six, <laughs> a wonderful send-off. Um, yeah. And a strong story that has amazing character beats that you might not get in the sixth entry of anything. We'll yes, that. that's what I'm saying. Like this, um, because it's ensemble, it has more legs, right? So, yeah, I dig it. I just, oh, this is this is a great movie. And everybody can, like, watch this. It's available on... Um, well, I I um I know Steve, you had you bought it on your Voodoo. I forgot your login because I'm a terrible person to watch it. It's four dollars on Amazon Prime. It's not Prime, but Amazon four bucks to rent it and watch it. Um, you you have all spent four dollars on less. Please watch this film. It's a lot of fun, and there's some there there's a lot of good here. And I'm glad that we took time to look at a Star Trek sequel for our year of the sequel. So I'll just say this real quick. Yes, I have it in my voodoo. Um, and I know that yeah, we're ask all Steve for his be... log and he'll give it to you. I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> but I know that we're all supposed to be and I haven't really looked at the Blu-rays, but I, I know that we're all supposed to be very big on, you know, uh, whatever the latest version is. But I was just going to say the Star Trek series, they put out some amazing DVDs yeah. of the films. Um, I have um, a two disc edition DVD of the film, which is just packed with extras. And I didn't go into all the different things that are in this film that, because uh, um, I didn't want the, the conversation to go longer, but I would say you could probably go to a record exchange and pick up, the uh, DVD version of this for about six bucks because or five bucks or whatever you're going to pay to rent it because there's a, 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 a ton of extras and stuff that if you are a Star Trek fan, it's fun to look through and see all that stuff. Um, I don't know. It's it's this weird thing of like, oh, you can rent it for four dollars or you can buy like the double disc edition of the uh, DVD probably for less than that at an exchange. Yeah, so so. Um, any, any other thoughts about uh, the undiscovered country? I think this is, um, uh, people should come back to revisit this. There's a lot of fun here and it's a solid film. It's a lot of fun. No, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, turn this into the star Trek show, just like I don't want to turn every show into the Batman show or the star Wars show, yeah. but you know, or the Halloween show. But uh, you, you know, I, I would love to talk more star Trek in the future. I think that we need to, incorporated in more and maybe that means i sit down and watch uh you know um discovery and all of enterprise um, i'm kidding all right what's that all of enterprise all of enterprise <laughs> i i prefer the last episode which is just a big screw you where they're like we're gonna make it a next generation <laughs> episode again i think tells- I, I did mention on uh, my other podcast that uh wouldn't it be amazing if scott backless character leaped out at the end of enterprise <laughs> like <laughs> like <laughs> There you yeah, go. We're I, out. Like it was I, just him. I've only seen so many episodes of Enterprise, but I happen to know that the last episode is like, ah, it's Riker on the deck doing doing ship. cooking. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, watching the you know the finale of Enterprise essentially. Which maybe okay, maybe I will um, <clears throat> give you my login for CBS. All sorry, Paramount Plus. And we'll talk about some um, lower decks. How about that soon? That'd be a lot of fun. May, yeah, we could do that. And then the other thing that I would mention is, is that I don't know when Picard season two. Next year. Uh, it's coming out next year. Okay. Yeah. So when the 2009 
uh, film came out, uh, they were like, oh, let's capitalize on this and put out like different collections. Uh, one of the collections that they put out was just an episode of all the Q episodes. And I think there's maybe 10 in total, which is still like 10 hours of, of viewing. However, you know, I, I would posit we can absolutely talk Lower Decks. Possibly, maybe before Picard, we revisit the Q episodes. I would dig that. So, all right. That's going to do it for our discussion eventually about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Um, you guys can let us know what your thoughts are on our Facebook page, Invasion of Podcasts. You can um, email us directly at invadingpodcast.gmail.com. Wherever you get your uh, podcast, rate and review us. That would be greatly appreciated. If you enjoyed this conversation, let other people know. Uh, hey, what would it sound like if two overweight white guys got drunk and talked about shit? Recommend us. That would be great. Um, and Steve, how can people find you and what you're doing? You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. You can find me on uh, our website, actually, the com, And you can go to Etsy if you want to buy a comic and say, hey, you want to see what the, the craziness is all about. You can go to Etsy. Our store is The Art of the Slash. And you can buy the first two issues there, plus our anthology, which is Beyond Sunset. Not Star Trek Beyond, not from Beyond, but Beyond Sunset. You can buy that there as well. All right. So next week, we're going to be digging into the Amazon Prime documentary, um, Val, which is about Val Kilmer, uh, who happened to be uh, the guy that always had a, a video camera around him. I'm intrigued by this, and um, I'm sure it's going to be bittersweet, but I want to check it out because I like Val Kilmer, and I feel like we've, like, it's it, he's a guy that's easily dismissed. I cannot wait to get into this documentary. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Val Kilmer was certainly, for me, a part of my, uh, you know, he was in, like, huge movies growing up, and definitely within the last 20 to 30 years, 20 to 30 years, 20 years at, at least, like, his career sort of morphed and uh, taken different roles, and yeah. I, I'm, I know I'm going to probably be crying by the end of this documentary, we'll put it that way. As will I. So next week's going to be Val. Have a good week. Have a safe week. And in the meantime, um, I, I don't know. At hell's heart, I stab at thee and let loose the dogs of war? Question mark. I got nothing that can beat that. <laughs>